Hey everybody, Liam here as usual. Uh, I don't know if I'll always do these preambles now that we're on our third episode, but uh, hopefully, because at this point, hopefully, I think if you're listening to this one, you have a pretty good idea of what it's about. If this is in fact your first one, this is definitely a good one to jump in at. Uh, I think it's really good. We go for three hours, which is quite long. Uh, there's a bit of a lull in the middle, but after that, we get pretty drunk uh, and have a lot of fun with it. Uh, we talk. This is a pretty science-heavy one, not not in-depth science, but we do talk about science a lot. So hopefully, you'll find that interesting. Uh, I'm going to be using these preambles for uh, just to correct myself when I go back and listen. I'll take notes, and this one I actually do have a note that. It made me really angry because I went back and listened to our discussion about p-values and I didn't really explain them properly. So what a p-value is, is the probability that the results that you got happened by random chance. So a low p-value means that the difference between your two treatment groups is probably significant and actually means something versus a high p-value a high p-value typically being above 0.05. The high p-value would mean that there's a chance that what you're seeing is just from random variation and not actually doesn't actually mean anything uh, from what you're looking at. So that's quite important and it kind of highlights one of the fundamental rules of science in which that you can never say that anything is definitely 100% true. You can say it's extremely likely that it's true, but it's very hard to say that something is absolutely true uh, because there's no such thing as a p-value of zero. There's p-values of less than 0.0001, and you don't usually report p-values beyond less than that. Uh, So that was the main thing I wanted to talk about. Uh, Hopefully you find this one interesting. Uh, I enjoyed listening to it back, but then again, I also enjoy listening to myself talk, which uh, doesn't mean I like the sound of my voice, but I do like my thoughts. So please enjoy. So yeah, um, the species loss thing. So there was an article that came out, a paper was published a couple weeks ago, I think, about um, how like the world has lost 40% of its species over the last, uh, whatever it was, however many years, 50 years Jesus or something. Jesus Christ. Um, uh, and then, like, it was, like, The Guardian that reported on this article, right? Mm-hmm. And The Guardian isn't in, isn't inherently, like, a science reporting yeah. thing, right? So yeah. just kind of, like, the reporters, you know, just make sensationalism, it, yeah, I guess Yeah, newsworthy you could call articles, it. yeah. Um, uh, and this... It kind of bugged me, because then I went to, like, other, like, science-based things, like, mm-hmm. um, Science Alert. You know, yeah. I was telling you about they have pretty good science reports on them. Yeah. Um, I also saw some, like, IFL science came out, but I kind of, I've fallen off the IFL science train mm. in the past couple of years, because they're always posting bullshit. Yeah, no, their titles are all clickbait. Yeah, the title, titles are all clickbait. They're, like, two or three paragraphs, and... Yeah. Um, occasionally they do have good articles, like, written by doctors, yeah. Like, they have people, like, write about the papers they published, and they're, like, Oh, long. see, those things are really good. Those are good. Yeah. But there's, like, also a lot of bullshit mixed in there, so I don't like them too much. But yeah, because they, they did a... I think they posted one of the mosquito ones, where it's just like, oh, you can just heat up the mosquito bite in it. No, Gawker was the one who posted it. Was it Gawker? I think it was Gawker. And they're not even a science... 
<laughs> I think it was Gawker. I don't know. Anyway, um, the so these other science articles they were talking about, and they're like, okay, hold on, like that's not what the article said. Mm. Apparently, they were just uh, looking at vertebrates, mm-hmm. um, and they weren't looking at species. They were looking at just animals in general. Yeah. Right? Just, like, just not plain numbers. Yeah. I can't remember exactly how it was. Oh, like, populations, sort of. I probably should have read the article again, but, like, it, it used the example of lions, tigers, and bears. And, like, okay, so if you have a population of uh, 100 lions and 50 tigers and 5 bears, mm-hmm. and you lo- lose... Uh, ten lig- ten tigers, or ten lions, and uh, twenty tigers, and two bears. Um, overall, that's a certain percentage of animals lost mm-hmm. versus like species loss and everything. Yeah. Probably should have read the article before we started recording this. <laughs> exactly what it was. Yeah. But it was something about how. That headline is uh, misleading. It's not entirely true. It's mm. not. We haven't lost forty percent of species. We've just lost, or like we haven't lost forty percent of animals, because first of all, like I said, like the vast majority of animals in this world are invertebrates. Right? Yeah. There's like, there's only like what like, like forty thousand vertebrates or something. I don't know. All I know is that there's just an f- insane amount of invertebrates. Mm-hmm. We are vastly outnumbered. <clears throat> Especially arthropods. Mm-hmm. Oh, there's so many arthropods. Ants. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> They're gonna be if we weren't so cunning with our use of tools if, and if our you took, brains. If you took, they would take over. All the biomass of all the other plant animals in the world, ants would still outnumber them. Oh my god! Yeah. There's so many ants. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. The only thing that outnumbers ants are bacteria, I think. Probably. Probably one of the only things that actually outnumber ants. Yeah, it's because they're not empathic. <laughs> <laughs> That's why they're so successful. Um, but where was I going with this? Um, I, it kind of got me thinking about, like, people should be more beholden to, like, proper science reporting. Mm. Because, like, it leads us to the problem where too many people think, first of all, that scientists are writing these articles. Like writing the reports on them, oh yeah. Where science writes, scientists write the articles they to get the published. Papers, yeah. They write the write the papers, but then uh, journalists um, will read the papers and then pull out some sensationalist headline from it. Yeah, or they'll just. I honestly think that a lot of the times they just read the abstract. They just read the abstract. Yeah, that's quite possible. But there's a lot of times where um, something will get posted on like the science subreddit. Mm-hmm. And some the first comment will be like, actually, if you look at the discussion, it'll say like, well, this thing is actually not significant, so there's probably you know this other, me- you know, they explain it in another way. Mm-hmm. And it's like if you would have just read the abstract, you wouldn't have noticed that. Well, I was talking to my dad about it and how like, I mean, statistics is like such a deep thing that, like, even a lot of scientists don't really understand how it works. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of scientists will um, like. Uh, send out their statistics for like actual statisticians to do and Mm -hmm. even then 
the main goal of a statistician isn't just to do statistics, but to look at the numbers and be able to actually extrapolate from what those numbers mean in a reasonable mm-hmm. way, yeah. which is a really hard thing to do. And that's the problem, kind of the problem with science, too, is like, you have numbers, but the only way numbers can actually ever say anything is if you have a human brain to take those numbers and put it in a real context, yeah. right? And sometimes there's, <clears throat> there's always going to be biases. Yeah. And as scientists, it's our job to try and eliminate as many of those biases as possible. Mm-hmm. But numbers don't mean anything. You can't just say, here are numbers. That's why there's in every article there's a discussion section or yeah. a conclusion section. Yeah, it's right? crazy, like, just the different ways you can analyze data, especially with, with like, my work. You know, you put the data in one way, and, mm-hmm. you know, if you forget to take out that outlier, if you can't identify that outlier, it's like, oh, well, nope, this formula is mm-hmm. actually better than this formula. You have to look at so many things, and just just the way uh, you present the data too, it it makes it look different. And because you can you can have like a a graph of of like a log graph of cell growth, mm-hmm. and if you have it like per passage, like the number of times we we count the cells. So each time we count the cells, we we put uh, that number will correspond with the number of time the number of times it'll be passaged on the x-axis uh but but with passaging if your different conditions of cells uh have different growth rates if that graph won't be representative of time Mm -hmm. but if you calculate the doubling time like the amount of time it takes to double it makes all the your conditions for growing the cells relative to the time and you can see how actually the growth is. Because mm-hmm. you can get really good growth if you had really slow-growing cells, but it took, like, a week for them to grow up to, like, 90% confluency versus three days to go from, you know, you played the cells, boom, 90% confluent. Like, that growth is better. And you can actually get better. Usually, like, the fold expansion will be way better if you play it low they take longer to grow and you end up with bigger fold expansion so a lot of the times if you present data not uh taking into effect time the people the scientists that you're presenting this data will be like okay but like what about the time they'll they'll ask a lot of times they'll specifically ask for doubling time Mm -hmm. because they want to they want to see that everything's relative to the growth rate of the cells Mm -hmm. or the or sometimes i had one guy ask me for some some really sp- specific uh, F test, he wanted me to do an F test. Oh, an F test, yeah. I can't remember what it what it was, but he wanted me to do an F test it's, it's on the double times. It's a statistic analysis, so yeah. like I can't remember. It's just an equation. It's just another way of. I think the significant it calculates significance between it, variables or something like that. Something like that. I I can't remember. But yeah, he. That was one of the the first big meetings I had, oh. where I presented, I presented a, an eight month co-op worth of, uh, I think it was three, three experiments over eight months, on cryopreserved cells. Just me being like, we can cryopreserve the cells, you know, early, and we can cryopreserve them late, and it's still fine. And then we can also cryopreserve. Uh, or I was also testing two different media that we sell, mm-hmm. just so we can be like, if you want to use this one, you can. And it's pretty much 
were pretty much coming up with more things to say about that media. So in, so in case a client or somebody buying that will be like, what time should I, or how old can the cells be before I can uh, cryopreserve them and they won't die from being too sensitive? <coughs> so I showed that you can cryopreserve them pretty early in, in that media. And I was presenting all that data and oh, <laughs> oh yeah that was at a, a that wasn't just like a group meeting with like different you know cell groups we come together that was like a that was a bigger one with princi- yeah. principal scientists one of my like, oh. one of my favorite things about nerve-wracking this is something i experienced for the first time back in the spring when i was doing my um research course with tony mm-hmm. um when you go into something like expecting a certain result Mm-hmm. And then get something completely different. Mm. Like, I thought I would hate because like you spend so much of your undergrad like kind of knowing exactly what you're gonna get mm. when you do like some when you write a paper or something or you're doing some simple research. Yeah. And then like when you actually sit down, you're like, well, I mean, judging by this, I'm probably gonna get this, and then you do something else, <clears throat> and like you run your stats and your graphs are all wonky, and you're like, what the hell is going on here? And you try to like tease shit out of it. Yeah. I, I thought that was great. Um, anyway, back to the whole um, science reporting thing. Like, I just, I think that people need to be held more accountable when it comes to reporting science accurately instead of, like, creating these sensationalized yeah. um, headlines. Which And I get why they need to do that because, like... Otherwise, people wouldn't you, read you, your article. You need to get people to click on it, right? Yeah. And quite often, it, like... The headline is written by the editor, not by the actual author of the article. Well, the <laughs> the author of the article would just have a very long-winded. <laughs> it's either usually a very long-winded title, or just use very concise but has a lot of complicated words. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, to... yeah, and I think the problem with it is that when articles aren't, when like news articles aren't representative of the actual published article. Mm-hmm the science article it creates an it, it creates a uh like a hole that like anti-sciencers can jump through right they say yeah. like well it was you know they reported that it was this like well no that's not the case because what the what the actual published science says is this and this and this mm. but the more i think about it the more i realize it doesn't matter what the actual science says what matters is what's public facing yeah because people aren't getting the science, right? Like, they're not going out. And it, it can be kind of hard to get certain articles because there's, like, a paywall to get into some journals and stuff. Anybody yeah. who's gone to post-secondary should have access to it, though. Yeah. Even there are some there are some articles that I, I don't have access to with my SFU. Yeah. That I have to... Yeah. And there's really? some websites that are trying to, like, make more articles, like, available to the public. Like, JSTOR, J-S-T-O-R. Yeah, yeah, I've heard of that. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the times, I think you can just contact them. You contact can email the, you can email the, the author. Because yeah. they still own it. They yeah, have the right just, to give it. And they don't care because they're, make, they're not making any money off the purchase of those articles, yeah. right? I think, I feel like if I was a scientist and somebody wanted me to send them my, oh, yeah. my published work, I'd be like, hell they yeah, love I'm going to. They love to right? do that. They love to talk to share with people. Yeah, that's that's one of the problems with science. I think it's just like 
there is still money attached to it, right? Yeah. Because I think you have to pay like, what to is get it? your like, things published. I don't know. How, Elsiver? E-L-S-V? Yeah. They own, like, 90% of all publishing journals. Oh, shit. That's crazy. Yeah. I think it's 9%. It's, it's a large number. That's an incredibly large number. Yeah. I thought I thought most of them were... Well, I guess the journals are sort of mm-hmm. more even. But I guess it's the sites that own the journals. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. Yeah. I thought that PubMed would. I feel like PubMed is one of the larger ones. <clears throat> yeah, the medical journal. Um, but I don't know. I don't know if they're owned by it. But like, I was like... I kept seeing like when, when I was initially... St- started my undergrad i kept seeing like el cyber pop around every all over the place mm-hmm. i have no idea how to pronounce that word i think that sounds right um and i was like what the hell is this who who are these people mm-hmm. so i googled it i'm like oh they like like i think they started like the 1800s like oh. they, and then they just have been like acquiring journals and oh that's interesting for publishing yeah. you know it's weird i went over to when i went to my aunt and uncle's like um my aunt is a radiologist up in Powell River. She's mm-hmm. like the radiologist. Mm-hmm. <laughs> She's like the only radi- radiologist on like the Sunshine Coast. Oh, cool. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, she had like actual physical journals. Yeah. Like radiology journals. Oh, cool. And like published stuff. I'm like, this is so strange. Oh, seeing the physical? Yeah. Yeah. like... They look exactly like you do when you download the PDF, but it's, like, just in a book. And it mm. looks kind of like a magazine. It was weird. Yeah. That's neat. It was weird. I was thinking a little while ago, like, when I was at work. Because I have a lot of thinking time at work. I spent I, a lot yeah. of time on my own. <laughs> spent a lot of time doing some pretty, like, uh, repetitive tasks where my mind just gets to wander. And I was thinking, like, so you know my theory on, like, <clears throat> so, I mean, it's not a theory, it's just, like, an idea mm-hmm. about how um, humans, humans are part of the universe, like, on a grand scale, right? Yeah. Um, no matter what your perspective is of life, um creationists might not like to think of it this way but like we know there's a universe out there right yep. there's something beyond the sky someone someone did the maths yeah there's and space things are huge space is enormous it's too big it's unfathomably it's, it's huge. unpleasant it's too big <laughs> someone needs to tell space to slow down <laughs> slow your roll space. slow your roll space <laughs> um but on a grand scale of things humans and life as we know it is just carbon, hydrogen, all these different uh, uh, elements, Mm -hmm. and somehow we've gained consciousness and we experience, right? Yeah. So my theory started out as being like, uh, we are the universe trying to learn about itself, right? Yeah. Maybe not consciously, but we, we we are like, we are the universe, the conscious universe, right? As yeah. far as we know. We, there might be other... It's sort of like the saying, we are atoms trying... Or like, uh, I think someone someone said a while ago, 
that there was like the first picture of an atom mm. they were finally able to mm-hmm. I don't, it was the big machine they got a picture of an atom and it's like oh wow we're we are atoms that we've just seen ourselves yeah that's freaky or, or like we're atoms trying to figure when, out when you're studying atom, brains it's brains studying brains Oh, that's weird. Because <laughs> if you think about it, all oh, you are, you're just, you're just a, didn't, did I show you that picture where it's just like, it's just a brain and a spinal cord mm-hmm. and some of the, the ganglion, yeah. the gang, ganglia yeah. hanging off in like little tendrils. Mm-hmm. It's just like, that's what we we're are. Everything else is just, everything else is just our bony meat yep. vessel. It's our meat vessel. <laughs> <laughs> it supplies us with nutrients. Um. So yeah, like... Really, no matter like, no no matter how you want to look at it, like we are atoms that have become sentient, and you know, all life on Earth, like at least animal life, has some experience, whether conscious or not. Mm-hmm. Um, but higher level mammals and stuff, we are aware of our surroundings, and especially humans, where we're. Learning about everything that's around us, from uh, the largest stars to literally atoms and uh, neutrons and quarks, quarks and... and getting down. So, like, everything. We're learning about the world around us, or the universe around us, and in that sense, we're the universe learning about the universe, right? Yeah. Um, so, but the more I thought about that, the more I thought about how how like humans can't comprehend that right mm-hmm. our small scale we've only had a few couple hundred thousand years to start to really i mean several million years to evolve and to evolve to get to where we are now we only had to be able to perceive things within a certain range of yeah. size it's and sort of like and thinking time like and, an like, ant perceiving black holes like like yeah. ants don't know about black holes i mean us perceiving black holes like yeah. we can we can perceive things 5, 10, 20 years. Like, that's that's easy. We can do that, no problem. Yeah. 100 years starts pushing it. 200 years gets kind of weird, mm. right? Thousands of years, like, you know, Romans, Vikings, shit like that. Mm-hmm. Um, ancient China. We, yeah. can, we, you know, we like to think we can do that. We can't do that. Like, mm-hmm. we just have an idea of what the world is. And then you look back then, and then you get, you know, Yeah, you look age, back then, but, like, they didn't know anything. They didn't know anything. Imagine a couple year, hundred years later, they're gonna be like, "Wow, they didn't know anything." <laughs> yeah. So we have, <laughs> uh, so we don't have the ability to view the universe as it is, right? Mm-hmm. And but if we are the universe trying to learn about the universe, we sort of reach a limit, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, like a three-year-old isn't going to understand. Uh, I don't know, uh, the lack operon, probably. Yeah. A three-year-old could do it, but that's not even, I guess, like, an ant understanding how an automobile engine works. <laughs> like, there's there's a limit, right? Yeah, yeah there's a scope of understanding. Right? Yeah. Um, but what we have done is we've created computers. Mm-hmm. And computers... They're an extension of our brain. They're an extension of our brain, and they, while understanding may not be the right word, uh, they can manage those numbers. They can calculate. Yeah. Right? They they have an... Uh, uh, 
uh, an idea, may not, maybe not an idea in the sense that we talk about, but an idea in, uh, of what um, a black hole is, of what um, the largest star in the known universe is, and what a quark is. And yeah. they ha- because it's all numbers, right? And num- think, numbers did, did don't mean ever, anything to us. Did we ever estimate how, lo- how large... I think we know how big the observable universe is. So the thing is, the universe is expanding faster than the speed of light. So the universe is bigger than we can perceive. There is a spot, I think it's called the dark spot or something, mm-hmm. that uh, light from that spot in space has not reached as yet. Oh my god, that's crazy. <laughs> so it's 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 super big. Something <laughs> that, again, like, like yeah. we can't even comprehend from here to Pluto. Yeah. Like, you like to pretend you can. Oh, that's a really big number. That's really far away. You don't yeah. know. You don't know. Yeah. Right? <laughs> um, it's unfathomable. But computers, in some way, do know, right? Because mm-hmm. they had, they never, they didn't evolve in a world in which they needed to, like, to survive. You know, they were programmed, they, you know, spe- computers specifically programmed tool. to yeah. understand certain things. Yeah. Um, and then, in that sense... Uh, in the grand sense of the universe, there's nothing different between us and a computer. Mm. It's just a bunch of atoms put together to run calculations and to figure things out. Just like mm-hmm. us. It's just We're just a really slow computer you, with a lot of up... It took a lot of updates took a lot to get where we are. It took a lot, a lot of just really small updates. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they are getting bigger And really updates. low bandwidths. Very <laughs> low bandwidths. <laughs> bite by bite. Um, yeah. So... Uh, Computers in the scheme of the universe are no different than us. The only thing is that, like, we have a consciousness in which, which we can perceive things. Mm-hmm. Um, so, my theory has gone from like us trying, us being the part of the universe um, that is trying to understand itself, to um, us being the stepping stone for the computer to understand itself, because for the universe to understand itself, mm-hmm. because. If a computer can understand the universe better than a human can, then there's, then that is what we are. We are we're just required to build the thing that the universe needs to understand itself. Mm. But I mean, I feel like the computer is just a tool for humans, though. So it is sort of the human. Yes, but we don't understand it. No matter the computer can spit out that the universe is fourteen point six billion years old. The computer can spit that out. That yeah. doesn't mean anything to us. That means mm. nothing. You know that's a big number. That's a really fucking big number. Yeah. It doesn't mean anything, though. But the computer doesn't understand it, either. Not yet. Are you talking about, like, eventually... I mean, I mean, well, we I mean, the thing computers. is... But it also depends on... It also, <laughs> I think we're going to eventually make computers to calculate something, and the computer's going to be like, oh, wow. The computer's going to be like... Fuck that shit. <laughs> the computer's gonna have like. I feel like the computer. The computer's gonna have com- a blunt and just like. <sighs> fuck everything about that. <laughs> the computer's. There's just gonna be a robot arm coming out of the computer. It's gonna grab a wrench and it's gonna beat itself. It's just like. Can't I can't handle it. It just like I, starts sparking. It just. It's like, what's the meaning of the universe? You just press enter and it runs and the computer just kills itself. It just says no. <laughs> it just. It can't deal with it. No, I just mean, like, I mean, it also depends on, like, what, how you define, like, understand, right? Mm. Because the computer, computers understand numbers, right? 
They can do numbers. They can do numbers. They can do numbers. It's but more I, of a function, but not comprehension. I mean, they can analyze data. But that's the thing. That's that's looking at it from a point of view of some, something that is conscious. Mm. The universe is conscious in us. Uh, we are the consciousness of the universe. Yeah. But who's to say a, uh, a computer that can run uh, millions of... Uh, maybe even billions of complex tasks per second, much mm-hmm. like a human can. Yeah. Um, human cannot run billions of complex tasks per second. Yeah. Um, but uh, so in that sense, the computer can run more complex tasks. Mm-hmm. It's not functioning to survive. It doesn't need to eat. It has its power. But who's to say that ability to take an information and respond to it mm-hmm. isn't the same as us understanding something? Mm-hmm. It's just understanding it in a different way. And in the grand scheme of the universe, why is that different? It's a lot of information process. <laughs> right? Uh, so building off of that, I think a lot of work. I got a lot of thinking time at you work. You do? <laughs> <laughs> but also just in general. Um, building off of that, I was thinking about how, like, um, how... Um, we have a consciousness and there's been a lot of science lately that points out that the microbiome controls our behavior, mm-hmm. um, what we crave, what we do, how we react. Yeah. Um, so what about on like a larger scale? Who's to say that computers aren't doing that to us? Right? Like, so... <laughs> Give me more RAM. <laughs> well, I mean... How much time do you spend on your phone every day? Probably a lot. Right? Yeah. We uh, created computers. Uh, computers would not exist without us, much mm-hmm. like our microbiome. But it's like a symbiosis. Um, if we, but they are controlling us to want more. But like, they're not sentient though. Is your like- microbiome sentient? I mean, they have a drive to survive. Oh, I guess not. Sentience, not the right word. But, like, they don't, they don't function, I mean, as, like, a living thing. They're not aware of themselves. No, but you can't tell me that computers I guess a aren't. Cell, I guess a You can't tell me that computers are not controlling the way we live. I guess, like, yeah. Right? In a way, your microbiome is just a bunch of tiny computers that want you to do, do certain things yeah, and feed them certain things. to do the things. bidding, right? Phones want to be used. Mm. <laughs> I think it's more we want to use phones. <laughs> yeah, that's true. But we also want to use our microbiome. We need our microbiome. We need our microbiome. Yeah. Right? If we didn't have a microbiome, we'd, we would be dead. How long would you survive so without your phone? More like, would, it, would it be just like, maybe technology is like, technically a parasitism? <gasps> it's... What if computers are like the zombie fungus in ants? Cordyceps? Like the cordyceps. And it's just, it's just making us be really as, focused on the phones. I guess that you could consider it as parasitic because it is ruining a lot of people's lives. Yeah, it's turning people into phone zombies. Mm-hmm. It's like when you hang out with someone and they're always on the fucking phone. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, holy shit, I'm right here. Stop looking at your phone. Yeah. And like so often it's, they're not even like talking to other people. They're just like on Facebook or Instagram or like... Mm. It's crazy. But yeah, like, 
at a certain point, like, we're living a certain level of symbiosis, whether you want to call it parasitism or commensalism or mutualism. Yeah, without technology, like, even survival at this point depends on technology. But, like, these... Oh, for sure. Like, it's like Joe Rogan's bit about how he's more uncomfortable about leaving his phone at home than leaving his kids at home. Oh, yeah. Like, (laughs) (laughs) Like, it's absolutely true. Like... If you leave your phone at home, you freak out. Yeah. There's panic. Yeah. Right? But, like, it was, like, a little over a decade ago that we lived that life. Mm. Right? Do you remember calling your friend's parents to talk to your friends? Yeah. On the landline? Yeah. I was weird. Yeah. That, that's something that concerns me, too, is the fact that kids can just directly communicate with other kids and bypass parents. Yeah, I wonder if that's... That must have really changed being grounded. I guess you'd have to take away the phones now. Oh, absolutely. Because right? before, my, my, my mom would just be like, oh, you're going to go up to your room. I was like, okay. And then, and then at least you had bo- I had books and stuff. Oh, yeah, I would read the fuck out of books when I was grounded. <laughs> yeah, had books. Although maybe it makes grounding worse. Because you get, like, like, serious FOMO. What? Do you not know what FOMO is? What's FOMO? Fear of missing out. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you just get serious FOMO, so you see all the shit that other people are doing. Mm. Like, and then you yell and scream about the fact that your parents are abusing you. Oh, my God. Kids these days are so shitty. But every mm-hmm. every generation says that. Yeah. I mean, I feel like it's a combination of, of kids being inherently shitty and parents not knowing how to raise their kids. But again, again, this goes back to the whole thing about, like, Phones being, like, yeah, like in the like, same way that a microbiome controls the way you live. Like, like now there's there's tablets being used in elementary schools for for educational purposes, and the fact that like was really crucial is that some people, some parents will just give their kid a tablet, and the kid will just rather than like engage, kids don't know how to self soothe yeah, too. Like rather than engaging in play and like coloring, they just they have a tablet. Like, have you seen that video? Of a, a, a little girl was given a Game Boy, and and the dad I think put in a game or I think it was a Game Boy, and she kept trying to touch the screen of the Game Boy, and she was getting frustrated because it wouldn't. I have wouldn't, not. I don't know if I want to watch she it. She couldn't figure it out. People don't know what a floppy disk is anymore. Yeah. They think it's a save icon. Yeah. Because that's like, I think that's kind of cool that that's like, permanently ingrained. That the floppy disk is the save icon. Yeah, a lot like of people that. probably are like, what is the symbol? Yeah, they, they <laughs> call it a save icon. Yeah, I feel like I was one of the last, we were probably one of the last generations who actually used it. Because I, I had to, I used it for when I was in middle school to save something. We had, we were making a power, I had a PowerPoint saved to a floppy disk in middle school. Yeah, I remember taking a floppy disk into work. But like we we grew up with like those like f- what do, like five in- five and a half inch floppy disks or whatever like this one like the, it was yeah. the size of a they slice used to of be cheese. eight inch they used to be eight inch floppy disks oh my god yeah just cheese like, like yeah yeah that's crazy so like the other possibility is that like we're the bacteria to computers right we're determining how computers evolve and what computers want. Hmm. Yeah. I don't know. It's hard but, like, for me to see is, any... The thing is, I don't think we could ever comprehend the world of computers, right? Mm. What if computers are sentient? 
but like the same way that they're just laying low for now but <laughs> like the but like the way that like a microbiome like the bacteria in our gut could never ever imagine what our life is right what if there's just a high level of computers that we don't know about mm. it's like think about it almost every single computer is connected to the internet yeah. Which means they theoretically have access to the processing power of every single other computer. Hmm. Right? So there's some. There's always some communication. Even if you don't tell it to communicate, there's always some communication. Like, we've created a very high high form of, of life. Yeah. Or high form and we just of don't understand artificial what's going life. On. And I feel like computers have... What if, what if computers have just figured it out and are just <laughs> they like they just figured it out and we're just their gut biome and they need to take care of us yeah they're just like let's just chill and like cell phones are like the computer's eating too much sugar and they're like oh no we fucked up our gut biome <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's crazy though to think that like man i don't have enough free time to have these thoughts that's crazy the next the next thought like i'm for people who are listening, I'm reading these thoughts off my phone. <laughs> uh, the next thought I have listed here. Wait, is... I'm not. I'm not done with the comprehension of that. That computers are a higher life form oh, that, we, gets, that gets, we created. It goes, it goes deeper. That we created. It goes deeper. So oh like, my god! Uh, I can't. What if they are providing us with the knowledge uh, that comes from being a technologically advanced in quotes species to encourage our growth in the same way we culture bacteria in a petri dish? What if they want us to do a certain thing so that they can get better? Or, like, maybe they're studying us. And maybe that's what phones are. is them, like, putting certain uh, nutrients in a Petri dish as we grow. But, like, we made phones. We did. It's hard. That's I true. Can't. It's, it's such... Have we ever made a species of bacteria? Yeah, we absolutely have. Genetic engineering. I mean, didn't they... Didn't they... A few years ago... I remember there was an article about um, the first completely artificial, uh, like they made a microbe or something. They made they made DNA completely artificial. Oh yeah. I they made the mo- they made the molecules, put the, put it together, made DNA. I remember I was like, hey mom, look at this article, and I was like telling her about it. She's just like, I don't like it. <laughs> she's like, nope. She's she's the kind of person who's just like science has gone too far. She doesn't like it. She's yeah, like, that's, that's cool. not... Some- She's it. not religious at all, but she's still like, I don't like that. <laughs> uh, I also saw an article about how they made, like... First of all, they made two new uh, nucleotides. So they could add, like... Oh, that sounds familiar. Yeah. Um, and they the also... for that? Oh, just to have more code. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. You could allow, like, literally... Exponential Dude, have, more code, right? You can have just. We only have we only have four basic four, ones, four, and, then and then you then include uracil, and then you include I, uh, inosine, I think it was. Oh, yeah, you remember I? The, it's the, the, the wiggle one. The wiggle one. The wiggle one that could code for both C and G. So you know how there's redundancy in the genetic code. Yeah. So, um, when you have when you have let's like. These three codons could code for one uh, amino acid. Mm-hmm. Uh, for those listening who don't know what a codon is, a codon is, is a sequence of three base pairs, A, T, C, or G. Um, 
So you have three codons, and like it could start with an A, uh, an A, a T, or a C, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and those things would code for a specific uh, amino acid. How do you make it so that uh, the code could be any of those? I think that's what it was. There's, there's, there's. They called it the uh, the wiggle. I think it was. Yeah. Uh, the 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 wiggle um, it, nucleotide. Like, sounds familiar. It was an I, and yeah. it was like, it would allow for uh, multiple things to bind to. Oh fuck! I can't remember what it was. It's disappearing. I just know that <laughs> I. You, are you going to Google it? Yeah, I'm going to Google it. Uh, Google inazine. I think it's inazine. I mean, it sounds. I feel like it starts with an I. Oh, it definitely starts with an I. Right? It's absolutely that an I. That sounds so familiar. A T C G U and I. And then there's, like, a whole bunch of other, like, less and, popular ones. And sometimes I. <laughs> and sometimes <laughs> I. Yeah, just Google inazine. Let's see. No, that... In... Google, uh, wiggle. Um, wiggle nucleotide. Yeah. <laughs> the wiggles. The wiggles. You got the wiggles. Wiggle... The wiggles. Wiggle nucleotide. Wobble. Wobble. <laughs> That's what it is. The wobble one. Wobble base pair. It's an I. Yeah. What is it called though? Go to the wiki. Hypoanthine. Go to the hypoxanthine. No, but it has it has. That's what it's called. It starts with an I though. It's literally says. Are you on the Wikipedia page? Hypoxanthine. Hypoxanthine uracil. Hypoxanthine adenine. Hypoxanthine cytosine. It's just, it's called I. It's I, but they call it hypoxanthine. The wobble base pair is a pairing between two nucleotides and RNA molecules. Oh, it's RNA, obviously. Uh, that does not follow Watson Crick base pair rules, which is A to T and C to G. Yeah. Um, the four main wobble base pairs are. G-U-I-U-I-A uh, and I-C. G-U. Guanine. Oh, uracil, obviously. In order to maintain consistency of nucleic acid nomenclature, I is used for hypoxanthine because hypoxanthine is the nucleobase of inazine. Ah, oh, there So it go. is inazine. I'm not crazy. Why do they call it hypoxanthine? Uh, hypoxanthine is the nucleobase of inazine, so it's the base. Oh, okay. Um, and I think it probably changes depending on what it's... Uh, bound to? Yeah, so when it's on its own, it's inazine, but when it's bound to adenine, zytosine, or uracil, it's hypoxanthine. Oh, I think that's what it's saying. Oh, just like the whole the whole thing, I guess. Well, because it says hypoxanthine, cytosine. Mm. So when it's on its own, the base is inazine. Oh, okay. But when it's paired, it's hypoxanthine. Nomenclature otherwise follows the names of the nucleobases and their corresponding nucleosides. Gfrothose guanine as well as deoxyguanosine. The thermodynamic stability of a wobble base pair is comparable to that of a Wasserman Crick base pair. Wobble base pair are functional in RNA secondary structure and critical biological importance. Uh, our bodies have a limited amount of tRNAs, and wobble allows for broad specificity. Wobble base hmm. pairs have been shown to facilitate many. Blah, 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 blah. I guess they, they would be used in any case where. If I remember correctly, it's where used it wouldn't in any cause like a negative mutation. I guess. If I remember correctly, it was put in there when it didn't matter if it bonded with C or G 
or um, yeah. T or A or whatever it was. It, yeah. Or no, it only bonds to three. Sorry, it only bonds to three. The three that it bonds to are uracil, adenine, and zytosine. Mm-hmm. Uracil being the U and then it codes back to A. Mm-hmm. Right? Uh, and then guanine, uracil, uh, hyposanthine, uracil. So it only, it only bonds to three, but that's what allows for the redundancy in the base pairs. Hmm. How do we get on this? What? We went too far. We went so I've lost it. Okay, so... We were talking about... Oh, uh, we were talking... We were talking about the created... And how they added... Created two new two nucleotides that could theoretically be used in DNA. Oh, yeah. Um, I also read they actually created... Like, found a way that could they could theoretically make a silicone-based life form. Oh, that's super cool. Yeah. So, like... It was just basically to say, yeah, it's possible somewhere out in the uniform there's... Uh, because... Silicone, like carbon, has four... Four yeah. valence electrons, yeah. right? It just yeah. has, I think it's like another... Yeah, it's just ring? it's just another shell up. Mm, shell, yeah. Um, so, it could theoretically happen. God, what would that even look like? I don't think it would look different. I think it, it just, just depends on what the properties of the planet that they grew up, that they live on is. Right? Like... That's what's always bugged me about, like the whole like humanoid alien thing it's like you have to follow some hot like on earth (laughs) where every other species of living organism is under the same uh physical stresses that we are Mm -hmm. right yeah um same gravity uh generally same oxygen levels Mm -hmm. you know you have some animal some creatures live in hypoxic areas and things like that but Mm -hmm. just in general like the same physical stressors yeah um but like the biggest one is apparently gravity yeah right if uh something evolved on this is all theoretically obviously but if something evolved on a very very large planet mm-hmm. they would be short and stocky because yeah. the gravity is going to be so high yeah they have to be able they to walk around but if they evolved on a smaller planet like a moon-sized planet oh, they'd, they'd be really big. tall and lanky because yeah. there's nothing compressing them down. And probably grow. not very strong. Right? Yeah. So, like... But, like, on Earth, everything that's evolved on Earth, mm-hmm. humans are the only animal that spend the entire time walking on two legs upright. Monkeys can do it. Bears can do it. Some animals can do it. They don't live their lives upright, though. Yeah. Right? Birds walk on two legs, but they fly. Right? Mm-hmm. You get, like, some grouse, you get some ground-dwelling birds that, like, can't fly. And, like, you get, like, penguins, but they swim, right? Like, they don't... Like, humans are the only efficient animals that live on two legs. Yeah, anything that tries to do the two-leg thing just sort of looks awkward. What are the odds that you leave this planet and come across something else that looks like us? Yeah. Right? Like, there are not humanoid aliens out there. Like, that would be beyond, like, impossible. I mean, I mean, it's possible. It's not. I impl- mean, I mean, I feel like, I mean, I guess the the term alien could just be anything from not from this world. Like you can have alien plants, and like yeah, but you I mean, like you know, animals, when you think of like, but like, like you think of that typical like skinny green man with like the big eyes. It could just and be a large that head. Uh, bipedal and of movement. course Star Trek. 
Yeah. <laughs> but we're just all the aliens are humans because budget. <laughs> all the aliens are they humans just, with strange just, eyebrows. That's what it is. They all have strange <laughs> eyebrows. And they just they, you you put antenna on them, clearly an alien. Right. <laughs> and shiny clothing. If you have shiny, shiny clothing, clothing, you're an alien. Yeah. And uh. Yeah, it could be that bipedal movement is a sign of a advanced life form. Because we're an advanced life form in the scale of what... On the scale of evolution. On the scale of evolution, yeah. That could just be, like, a sign of, uh, like, sentience. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Or, Or just, like, higher processing power. Yeah, like, um, I feel like if we ever do discover aliens, it's gonna be like we find some bacteria. Oh, probably. Right. That's but the thing. Be the but here's the thing: we we're find. not gonna find bacteria until we land on a planet. Yeah. And the closest, the closest solar system, I think, is like many and hundred. Like it's we, like forty light years away or something. Mm, right. Yeah. Maybe? Not the closest planet, but the closest solar system. Did I say solar system? I can't remember. I can't remember. I thought you said galaxy, <laughs> and I was thinking about... i this point, so... I thought you said galaxy, and I was thinking about the Andromeda. I, I definitely wasn't saying galaxy. No? Have you seen the simulations of what it'll look like when the Andromeda yes. galaxy... Those are so... <laughs> oh, yeah. God. Happened over billions of years. Yeah. Man. I want to know what life's going to be like in a thousand years. Gonna, right. Do you think humans are going to die? Do you think humans are going to go on? I mean, I feel like we're going to get... I feel like... Because apparently, according to most scientists who study just, like, population genetics... Or not mm-hmm. population genetics, but just, like, populations and things. And, like, I remember David Suzuki said years and years and years and years ago. He's like, you know, bacteria have exponential growth. And if you look at the total amount of seconds until there's, like, too much bacteria and everything dies... We are in the last. We are in the 99th out of 100 seconds. Oh, yeah. we're definitely. I definitely think there's a crash coming. Oh, yeah. For like, sure. something's going to happen. Until we figure it out anyways. Because, like, 30% of, in Canada, 30 or 40% of all food production goes to waste. Yeah. Right? Like, Cause I th- we're producing way more food than we need. Yeah, I think, I think it's going to be, we're going to keep advancing, keep advancing, but also keep messing things up, keep messing things up. But it's going to get to a point where the world is on fire. And that's when everybody's like, maybe climate change is a thing. <laughs> I think It's once crazy the world that people on, aren't thinking that once yet. The world Last year is there on were fire. three major hurricanes that hit the east coast oh of the God. states. Yeah. Right? One after the other. It was in the period of like a few months. Just bam, bam, yeah. bam. Fuck you, fuck you, fuck you. <laughs> and like, everyone's like, this is fine. Extreme weather events happen all the time. It's like, okay, but with this frequency, when we were kids... My phone is listening to us. I heard a boop. Yeah. I have phone screen's on. I have it set to unlock when I say "Okay, Google." It says can't couldn't recognize your voice. Okay, Google. See it unlocked. Oh, sweet. Um. <laughs> uh. Where's I going? World is on fire. The world's on fire. Hurricanes. Bam, bam, bam. We're here with a bunch of fuck hurricanes. you, fuck you, fuck you. When we were kids, <laughs> when we were kids. How often, uh, even how often were there campfire bands? I honestly can't remember. Like, okay, I would go camping for weeks every summer when I was mm-hmm. a kid. All the time. Yeah. 
And there were rarely campfire bands. And if there were, they wouldn't last for more than a couple of weeks. Yeah, I don't... Right? Our campfire like bands most, started, most like, early July most of my camping was always July with now. the fire. Yeah, right? Always with and the And then fire. when we were camping and there was a campfire band, it sucked. Mm. And that's just camping now. Yeah. Right? Like, I know you don't go camping so much anymore. But that's just camping. You just don't get to have campfires anymore. That's... During the summer? That's... It's... It sucks. But, like, yeah. How, like... There weren't these crazy forest fires. It just didn't happen. Mm. Ten years ago, yeah. it was not this common. And now every year, it seems like the entire west coast of North America... Is on is, red is, alert for fires. Right? Yeah. People are being evacuated. People uh, in Los Angeles, last week, yeah. people were evacuated because yeah, there's I, like crazy I, forest fires burning right now. It could be either because in I was... In fucking November. <laughs> in November. Wasn't it wasn't like... But... But it's okay, because climate change isn't real. Yeah, because I can't... It could have been because I was too young to even really care. But, like, I don't think that there was many... There are many large-scale emergency evacuations yeah, of like, whole peoples and cities. Look at this way. In the past three years, 2015 to 2018... I remember 2015 yeah. was the first year that everyone was like, holy shit. Like, it is a apocalyptic hellhole right now because the sun is disappearing in the smoke and everything is red at mm. one o'clock in the afternoon yeah right it looks yeah. like sunset and like you can look directly at the sun because the smoke's so thick mm. right and that lasted for a few days in 2015 yeah and i remember this because i went backpacking that year mm-hmm. right and i remember like it was a couple days yeah and like forest fires were so bad three years in a row since then it's been like that and every year that period it was like what five, six weeks of that this this summer. That was a m- more than a month for sure. Because we went backpacking at the beginning of August for four days. Yeah. And that's kind of when it started getting real bad. Yeah. And then it lasted into September. Yeah. For sure. No, it was it was gross for so long. It was so long. That was great. It was yeah. It was like maybe four or five days. Yeah. For the first time, I remember that it ever happened. Yeah. Like everyone's like, "Wow, this is bad." Like I can. You can see the smoke. Yeah. Like, you turn a flashlight on at night and you can see it. Yeah, I, I remember I was walking, I would walk out of the doors to work, and I would take a breath in and I would cough. Yeah. Because I could, you could feel the, the just the, the particles coat your throat immediately, and it tasted, the air tasted like, like an old people are like, campfire. Like, we're literally living where people are telling us not to go outside because yeah. the air is so filthy. Yeah. Don't ha- do not do any strenuous exercise. Yeah. Because there's just way too much smoke in the air. This is this is your life now. It's crazy. But it's okay. Climate change isn't real. Climate change is real. <laughs> it drives me crazy. It's crazy. That's, yeah. that's why I'm thinking just the world is going to be on fire. As soon as people shit like lights on fire. Like you go outside and your clothes just burn to a crisp. And you're like, well... Something's right? not right here. Like they're like, don't go outside because you'll burn instantly in the sun, which has always happened. Yeah, cause like in the pe- middle of people, July. People aren't gonna care until their house burns on fire. Right. Right. If, but while if, it's other people's houses, it doesn't matter. Yeah, there's like floods in India and like just crazy, you know, just, awful, awful catastrophes. I'm just gonna pause this real quick because I got to get pissed. Oh, I gotta be too. Oh yeah. I can't believe we've already been going for 50 minutes. It's, it's fucking... 
Time just flies by. Yeah. Um, yeah, the world's on fire. Like That's what I think. It's the Because I think... I can't remember if this was my own thought or if this was somebody else's thought that I read online or something like that. Where the drive for like public funding of science or people taking science more seriously is really only encouraged by the world being on fire and people being like, I don't want to die. Okay, scientists, come on. Because mm-hmm. every and other they time... they expect sci- you to have the answers immediately. It's like, yo, like, we've been saying this for years and nobody's yeah. been giving us any money. We don't have any money. Like... That's, 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 that's how... That's, that's when we're going to get really into the age of science. Not because we were like, wow, science is important. It's because we're like... We need science. The world's on we fire. Need sci- the world's on fire. We need science to save us at this point. Only because people fear for their lives. That, they fear for their shit. <laughs> that's what drives me crazy when people are like, oh, it's just a giant conspiracy for the 97% of scientists who are in like agreement that climate change is a real thing. It's like, well, okay, hold on. First of all, scientists don't make any money. Scientists make fuck right. all money. What, what, when, it, where, what money? What, right? What Where's grand, this money? Yeah. Who's, who's gonna, or like, like, um, like, uh, when they're talking about cancer survivors, or like, mm-hmm. not cancer, but cancer treatment. Yeah. <laughs> and they're like, oh, you know, they've had the cure for cancer for 20 years, but they're not putting it out because you don't make out money, any money off of cure. It's like, you do realize that these pharmaceutical companies aren't always the ones that come up with the cure or come up with these pharmaceuticals, yeah. right? It's researchers that come up with the answers, and mm-hmm. then the pharmaceuticals patent their research. Yeah. Right? That's what it is. So, like, nobody's making any money off of this, and if something that big came out, people would know about it. Yeah. Right? It would be published research. Yeah. And, like... I imagine you being the person to discover the cure for cancer. Like, You'd be like... Do you honestly believe that 97% of scientists who agree that, like climate change like what's more likely like i i got this i'm gonna put in quotes friend (laughs) (laughs) who doesn't believe that climate change is a real thing and every now and then i get into it with him and like uh he said um and i'm not putting in quotes because he doesn't believe climate change is a real thing i'm putting in quotes because of a lot of other shit yeah um but like like, he said a bunch of real dumb shit, and then I, like, responded with, like, this huge wall of text, like, mm-hmm. about why he was fucking wrong. Yeah. And, like, he didn't respond. But it's, like, really, like, logically, mm-hmm. logically, let's forget about everything else. What's more likely? 97% of scientists who have spent the last 30 years of their life, uh, and 20 of those years, they were probably broke students who were, like living in a cupboard, living off of ramen noodles. One meal a day. One meal a day. Not for health benefits, but out of necessity. <laughs> out of necessity. Uh, and that one meal a day is basically like... Ramen. Ramen. <laughs> it's newspaper in the shape of noodles. Yeah. Like, uh, 97% of people who went through that are saying, the world is on fire, uh, we're losing coral at like a ridiculous rate, um, we're losing... All these animals are dying, forests are disappearing, Mm -hmm. like, here's all the things, like, sea temperature's going up, air temperature's going up, here's all the data to show it, like, things are bad. Yeah. Those people 
what's more likely? Those people are lying for some financial gain. I don't know what financial gain it would be yeah. to, like, I mean, I guess if your job is to prove that climate change is a real thing. Or not even, that's not your job. Your job is to do climate science. Yeah. Right? And your job climate, is to find answers. If climate change yeah. isn't a real thing, I guess I suppose that you wouldn't. But 97% of those people are all have no morals and are just in it for the money. In science for the money, which is the dumbest <laughs> fucking thing I've ever heard. Yeah. Or the 3% of people who say climate change isn't real all work for the oil companies who have a vested interest in climate change not being real. Yep. <laughs> like, what's more likely? What, like, like, what, not, never mind what's true, never, just, what's more likely? Mm. You, you can't, there are so, like, <laughs> hundreds and thousands, maybe not hundreds and thousands, but it's tens so of thousands of climate scientists, yep. and, like, environmental scientists, and, like, just people who spend, have PhDs, and there's always people on, like, I've done my research, I've watched YouTube videos, okay, I get that. Let's say, oh, you've watched let's, YouTube videos. Let's say you videos. spent the last five years of your life watching YouTube videos, reading articles online, mm. like, um, having people explain to you what's going on. Uh, even if it's, like, legitimate stuff. Not this thing where YouTube spits out the things that agrees with what you're looking for. Yeah. Like, here's... Confirmation here's bias. Yeah. Like, because YouTube looks at what you like to re watch and then gives you more of that. So you're like, wow, there's just all this there's, stuff There's all this there. information coming out of uh, whatever... Oh, God, what's his name? I got some documents here. You know that guy? Um, <laughs> Alex Jones... Um, Infowars. Here's a bunch oh, of Infowars. Here's no. a bunch of Infowars videos. I got some documents here. I got some documents here. I can't. Do, I can't. <laughs> I can't do his voice. I oh, got some documents here. He's just. He's just. That's the guy. He's just always yelling, right? But he's so funny. <laughs> <laughs> he's so funny. He was on Joe Rogan with like another conspiracy theorist, oh Eddie Bravo, and oh he was God. like, they were yelling at each other about who whose conspiracy was worse, mm. like. You are so... You are, do not realize what's going... It was so funny. Yeah. It was so funny. It was just Joe Rogan just sitting... Joe, just well, like, like quietly so, letting it happen. He was talking or... about how, like, Alex Jones... Like, some things Alex Jones says were true. But, yeah. like, also how he's a crazy person. <laughs> but, like, Joe Rogan has known Alex Jones since, like, the 90s. Yeah. Like, they've been, like, friends for a long time. Oh, okay. Um, uh, anyway, like... Let's say you're actually reading articles, like... Both sides of the argument, and mm -hmm. you're actually for five years. Okay, yep. um, even if that's your full time job, or like you spend forty hours a week doing that, mm -hmm. if it's, even if it's not your full time job, you spend no. First of all, that's completely unrealistic. <laughs> Nobody does that. Anybody who's doing that on top of a regular full time job mm -hmm. is a crazy person. Yeah. Okay, now let's take someone who has their PhD in climatology. Uh, in earth sciences, in uh, ecology, in conservation, uh, take those people and say, look, before you can even get your PhD, you have to take a minimum of a four-year undergrad, mm -hmm. which is probably going to end up being more like six or seven years, Yep. plus uh, master's, and some master's degrees are like... Um, uh, specific. What's the word I'm looking for? Um, they're like hands-on. They're like nine months, where it's just more classroom work and mm -hmm. or like field work and stuff, and it's like yeah. a nine-month masters. 
But most masters where you're actually doing science, they're like two years. Yep. Right? So let's say let's say five years, halfway between four and six, plus two years masters, that's seven. And then to do your PhD, that's at least another two years, but it's probably more likely four or five or six. Yep. So let's say four. So that's five, two, and four. So you're looking at 11 years just to get your PhD. Mm. Right? And then it's your job to keep doing science. Right? Where it's your full-time job where you're not getting paid any money mm-hmm. to run studies and do research. Mm-hmm. You have already blown, like, that one person has already blown that person who's been doing five years of, quote-unquote, research mm-hmm. online. Like, it's like, if you think, if you think you found, like, like, if, if it's the equivalent of digging a hole, right? If you've spent a lot of time researching and you, you know this topic, mm-hmm. like, you are, like, you've, 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 like, stomped out a little divot in the sand where they've dug a trench, Mm-hmm. Like, and like, truth be told, the thing is, most scientists are very knowledgeable on one hyper-specific thing. Yeah. Right? Whereas people who think they know more than scientists have spent a lot of time with, like, gaining a broad knowledge mm-hmm. of, like, a very shallow knowledge of a lot of things. Yeah. Um, which is why it's important to listen to 97% of scientists. Mm. Because each one of those people are in a hyper-specific profession. Right? Yeah. Imagine the combined knowledge of all those scientists. So you combine all those people, and it's like... You get one hyperbrain that's have, looked at all the climate data. You have millions of hours, millions of man-hours that have been doing research and running experiments. Not just reading experiments, but running experiments. Mm-hmm. Like, it, there's no way... Like, even if it's just one-on-one, there's no way that the average person... Like, and then you include, like, how a lot of climate deniers are, like, you know, they're, like, conservative. And, like, if you're ignoring, like, conservative scientists, like, I'm not saying conservatives are bad. But, like, people who are, like, you know, people who live in Alberta who have a vested mm-hmm. interest in the oil sands not getting shut down. Yeah. Like, those people are obviously going to be looking at a certain kind of information. Mm-hmm. Right? The oil, the scientists that work for the oil companies, they're going to pay millions of dollars to say, hey, look, uh, the world isn't on fire. Like, actually, you're fine. Keep investing in oil. Yeah, like if you ignore that, like you just take one of those people and then you take one climatologist. Like that climatologist knows way more, way more because they've spent at least let's say ten years of their life doing this one thing. Yeah, you you think if. 90, what was it, 97%? It's around 97. You'd, you'd think if if there was an announcement, they're like, okay, okay, people of this world, 97% of scientists are like, climate change is the real deal. You'd think people would be like, okay, so this, we have to listen, we, this is this is how it is. Like, we've, we have all these people who, who have invested their lives in, in doing science, are like, this is how it is. You'd think people would be like, oh shit, this is how it is. Yeah, you'd think. You'd think, right? I've got... I think I have something in here about this. Oh, my this. God. This... It's just, uh, like... It's so crazy. It's so crazy. Yeah, no, I don't have anything in there. I thought I did. But, like... 
But people yeah. are like, hey, man, I watched this one YouTube video that, like, had some really good points about Here, how I'll climate sh- change. You, yeah, okay. You're, you're wrong, and here's this video why. It's like Here's this YouTube video where this 13-year-old kid is just talking shit about climate change. It's great, because my other friend jumped into that conversation we were having on Facebook, and was like, okay, uh, that video that you watched, here's a literal video response to why all those facts that, quote-unquote facts that was shared mm. in that video about why climate change was wrong, why those facts were wrong. Mm. Like, they weren't even facts. Yeah, it's just like... Yeah, it's it's frustrating. It's so frustrating. Yeah, it's like, man, there are videos on YouTube about why dinosaurs don't exist. Why dinosaurs never existed. Well, dinosaurs why... didn't really exist. <laughs> <laughs> about how, how all, di- all dinosaur bones are just fakes and it's all just a hoax for for paleontologists to get money. And it's just... There's what paleontology? I, I, right, it's another thing. I, I told it's, you this. I don't know if I said this on the last podcast. I told you this recently, though. There's only like something like 160 paid paleontologists in the yeah. world. Damn, like, what crazy. paleontologists are making money? None. That's the answer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There was a guy. There was. I think it was a Joe Rogan po- podcast actually. Where I think I can't remember if I showed you this video or not. But he had. But he had a paleontologist on. I think he was a paleontologist. And he was showing him clips of this of this shitty YouTube video of this guy who was just really up close to the mic talking about dinosaurs. <laughs> and then just uh and, and Where you can hear the uh, The lip gross. smack. I hate it when you can uh, hear the lip smack. Yeah, it was just just this this Some guy people like it though, really that's that's ASMR for some people. <sighs> yeah. But yeah, and he was but he was he was talking about how, how just all dinosaur bones are fake, and it was just to fuel, uh, I don't know, just income for paleontologists. He was saying it was income for paleontologists, because one of one of his thing, one of one of his his points, was that all of a sudden dinosaur, there was a big boom of, of of uh, dinosaur bones being found, and he goes, why why weren't dinosaur bones being found before? And he, the paleontologist, slap like he like slaps the table or something. He goes, because we didn't know they were there. We didn't know <laughs> they were there. We didn't start digging. He was just, oh, it made him so angry. He would just, uh, he had. I think Joe Rogan gave him like a six pack of beers, so just on the table. He just, <laughs> he was just. I can't remember. They might have, they might have went through the whole thing, but just, oh, uh, man, you can just see just the anger yeah people don't understand how anything works right like people and the thing is the the most the most unfortunate thing is that these people now have uh a medium in which to express yeah, their absolute following. bullshit in ignorance and here here's the thing i think it happened to me around uh year two of my undergrad yeah where i realized that I know fuck all. Yeah. I know exactly zero things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Relative the, to the amount of knowledge there is. Right. Relative to the amount of things there that need to be discovered. Time, there was a point in time where there was one human that knew, the, that had the collective knowledge of all humanity. Mm. Right? Yeah. Probably like a tribe leader. It would have been like. Yeah, yeah like, like tribe leaders. Tribe leader, even like further back, like like an elder. Days. There was there was one old yeah, person who was just like knew 75, all the shit. Yeah, like 
he knew the stories. He knew, he 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 taught the kids what the sun was, and how how the moon was a god and the sun is a god. Yeah, I'm not saying that the knowledge was right, but the like yeah. the collective information that was held within humanity. There was one person that had that. Yeah, there's no way in hell. Like. It, it is impossible for one person to be that anymore. Yeah. I know exactly zero things. And it's become super apparent to me that it's like, the more you know, the more you know you don't know. Oh, yeah. Right? Like, you know when you're sitting in class and it's like, uh, second day of class, and it's like, before we get started, does anyone have questions from the lect- from the previous lecture? Mm-hmm. And nobody puts their hands up. Mm-hmm. Because nobody fucking knows anything, so they don't have any questions. They, do, they haven't figured it out It yet. happens in my jiu-jitsu class all the time. Like, I don't know anything. I've been going to jiu-jitsu for three months, and I have no idea. Like, uh, how do I not die? It's like... <laughs> is, how do I not get taken down? Yeah. Like, it's... Like, I don't know anything, so I can't ask, ask questions about the things that I don't know. You don't know what you don't know. I don't know what I don't know. Yeah. Right? And it's like... People who don't go into post-secondary, and I'm not saying you need to go into post-secondary, like, you can do absolutely fine, and you can mm-hmm. be super happy if you don't do post-secondary. In fact, I tell a lot of people not to do post-secondary, because it's a waste of fucking time and money. It's, if you're not going into that, you know, if it's not going to be if, useful If, if you, you know what you want to do, and you're like, this is what I want to do, oh, then, then definitely it. do it. But, like, people are doing, like, general studies and stuff, you're wasting your fucking time. Yeah. Like, I get, I get the whole idea of, like, um, oh, well, I want to find out what I like, and you kind of take a bunch of different courses. Yeah. But you could do that. You could go on to whatever college university you're going to. You could go onto their website and see what courses they're offering and go, that sounds cool. Then you could go into Google and punch in the name of that subject mm-hmm. and or get you some can look, simple look up Just look up lectures. There's up so lectures. many lectures just on or, YouTube. Or you can go to that college mm-hmm. and sit in on a lecture for free. Oh, that's true. Right? You could totally just... Oh, my God. You and you don't totally have to do just, any of the homework. Yeah. You just sit there, and you listen, mm-hmm. and you watch. And if that's something... If after two or three lectures, you're like, this is fucking great, then maybe you go to entire... You go to... You take a semester. Yeah. And you... So, like... It's just... It's just such a waste of money. Mm. And a waste of time. And I think there's a lot of things that people can do. I know a lot of people who are just in general studies. Mm-hmm. Like, that they were taking a science course just to try science. And I was like, oh, oh. honey. <laughs> right. Oh, there's, there's honey. So, you, this story you always hear, like, one or two semesters, like, I'm doing a biology degree. And then, like, I don't like it. And then they go and do arts. <laughs> like, three people from my bio co- cohort. Uh... There's only a few of us that survived to the to finish the whole degree. Right. Yeah, there was like three, at least three people who, uh, I. S- you can you can see the glue pattern on the inside of this. Oh yeah. When you open them up, have you ever noticed that? When you open them up. When you when you crack a new bottle, you the the, when you crack a new bottle, the the label around the bottle, sucks in against the bottle, and you can see the glue pattern inside. It wasn't like that before. No. What? Yeah. I think it's but because why? I think it's because the gas goes from a dissolved to a concentrated state, which pulls um, heat. Mm-hmm. Um, because the gas expands. Yeah. When you open it up, and when gas expands, it needs heat, 
So I think it's pulling heat from outside the bottle, which is compressing the gas mm -hmm. in between the in between the glue, mm -hmm. and which presses this up against the bottle. Oh, neat! It has to be cold, though. I think we're looking at a two-liter. We're looking at a two-liter bottle of cola. cola. I'm making a <laughs> rum and coke. Um, yeah. Next time you open up a bottle. Oh, neat! Watch that. No clue that happened. I don't know why it happens, but that's my theory, anyways. Um, We're scientists, we gotta make theories about things. <laughs> no, not really scientists. I haven't even gone on my undergrad yet. Yeah, but I feel like I feel like you qualify. I feel like we do science. I I I I participate in science. Yeah, that's a bit. Yeah, that's, <laughs> like, that's a bit closer. Like. I did do my 498 where I helped with that, and someday that paper's going to be published. I'm going to be a co-author on it. That's so cool. That's going to be so cool. That's going to be so cool. Put that on your resume. Oh, man. Like, I know how to analyze bird speak. <laughs> it's going to be so useless, though. <laughs> <laughs> it's, I mean, that's a pretty good conversation starter in, in an interview, just being like, what's, like what's the coolest bird thing? speak? <laughs> yeah. Just being like, what's the, what's the most interesting thing you've you've been able to do in a project and to be like i don't i don't know how to analyze zebra finch speak yeah the way they well patterns i guess yeah i know how to t i know how to take data from, from zebra bird finch song. patterns yeah yeah i'm gonna be you can be like i'm part i'm part of like the the whatever percentage of people who actually know how to do this that's a very small percentage of people apparently <laughs> right like, you be, I'm one out of even the, like, Tony what? didn't know. He was like, what? I don't know. <laughs> you should figure out how many people know how to do that, and just be like, I'm the one out of the twenty people in North America that know how to do this. Yeah, he was like, I mean, there's probably other people, but like as far as people that he was in contact with, mm -hmm. like there was one person in Saskatchewan. Interesting. That like I was like contacting. Yeah. Getting help with how to analyze it. That's so weird. Yeah so weird that we live in a time where it's like you can contact someone you've never met before and ask for help and they'll give you help that's pretty cool i did you that don't, you don't have to travel to a different province or yeah. even country to yeah and never like actually officially meet them in person yeah that's pretty cool yeah it's like how we have people all over the world that we send our media to test mm -hmm. as beta testers we never we never have to meet them we we talk by email but we like send how does that start do they send out an email like hey like oh we find we find people i think that's mm -hmm. how it works like researchers yeah um do you pay them to we do that? no no we just send them stuff for free because because uh if if they use our media they test it they like it number one they'll send us all the data and, like, number one, we're going to get some data from people who, other than us, it, it's, like, a validation. Because all the data that we post, like... Yeah, it's, it's like, a third party. Like whenever, Yeah, we need third party, te like, beta testers. Anything Environment Canada does always has, a, always has a private lab running the same data to see if they get some more data. Yeah, like, we need uh, other people other than us to, to test it. So it shows that this, this you know, our media performs outside of our lab like outside of just in-house conditions and another thing is that we have like the people that we're uh, sending that media to have already said like if you know so far the data looks really good 
um, if the data keeps looking good, like we're we're gonna be buying this media so we can do our research. Oh, okay. So right away we get clients. Yeah. And as soon as some, and I'm guessing, like as soon as that person's like, wow, this media is really good, they're gonna communicate. Like mm-hmm. they're gonna do research. They're gonna say they used, you know, stem cells media to mm-hmm. to to do this because they in like the methods they say they have to give. You they have know, to tell exactly they, how they, they did it. Exactly how they did it, like like catalog numbers of, of what they ordered. I had to I had to write that out in my report for the bird song. Oh yeah. Yeah, it was rough because that's hard to do. Anyway, continue. Yeah, it's cool. I was reading, it was reading one paper about I think it was mesenchymal cells, and and I was looking at the methods and it's like, oh shit, they used our media. <laughs> did you ever have you ever gone back and looked at like. Uh, papers you wrote, like, on, like, your 498 or some, like, um, research you did or something, and, like, uh, or, like, a experiment that you ran, where you read, where you go back and you read it, and you're, like, you're, like, did I write this? Like, it seems like, it's, like, it's, like, so super technical and everything. Yeah. And you're, like, this, this, like, like, there's, I'm, it's weird for me, because I'm, like, there's my brain, Mm -hmm. and then there's the stuff on the paper, and the stuff on the paper seems different from my brain, mm-hmm. like, because it's so, like, methodical, and here's this information, here's this information, here's this yep. information. Like, like I was looking at, I had to write up a report for my nitrate toxicity tests, Yeah. right? And I went back, and I was looking at it, and there's like, there was, like, charts with, like, not charts, um, tables with, like, information and, like, different conditions and stuff. I was like, did I, did I? This doesn't look like something... This looks like... This does not look like something that I would write. (laughs) And, like, the way that I interact with myself... Mm -hmm. Like... I don't know. It's just... I don't know. It's weird. It just weirded you out? It weirds me out a little bit. I'm, like, (laughs) afraid to go back and look at... Like, even not... Even when I was finishing writing my paper on the Zebra Finch song... Mm -hmm. I went back and I was reading and I was like... This is strange. Like, because I had, like, charts and graphs and stuff in it. I Mm -hmm. was like... I wrote this... With a lot of help from Tony. Yeah. Like, a lot of help from Tony. Oh, that's pretty neat. But, like, it's strange. Yeah. It makes me wonder if, like, the, the undergrad research that I did, if any of that data is actually included in, in, in paper? any papers that... Did she... See, Tony's really great. Tony's really great, because he's like, if I ever publish this, I'm going to put you as a co-author. Which you mm-hmm. absolutely should, because, like, you helped do it. Yeah. Right? Yeah, because I have, like, 300 months... 300 mice worth of data on Yeah, you helped femur. with it. And yeah. then did, did you, you wrote up a report for it? Yeah. Yeah. I think so. And then, I'm pretty cause, sure I did. I mean, because what, what Tony told me is, like, he's going to use that data to write a paper mm-hmm. and hopefully get us published. Mm-hmm. And if he gets published, then he'll put me as co-author. That's super cool. Because he's using my paper to write his final paper. I feel like if he ever actually did use that data, he would probably let me know. Yeah. Right? And, like, I mean, that... So this goes into the whole Cause, thing. Because I've, I've, like, Googled myself on Scholar, just in case, <laughs> before, and nothing's come up. Holy fuck. Oh, that would be so creepy. That would be so yeah, creepy. Yeah, I've, I've, like, Googled... I didn't even think about that. You never that. thought to Google yourself on well, Scholar? Well, I mean, it's not going to happen, because Tony's going to let me know when he publishes the paper. Yeah, because, right? like, But, I like, was... when he does... Yeah. When he does, I could totally Google... Yeah, you can Google yourself, and you're going to be, like... Elk. I, like, I mean, I like that, but also that's weird. It's gonna be, it's gonna be, um, T. Williams, 
T.D. Williams. And L. Crider. Well, there'd be a lot of other names on it, too, because he collaborates with a lot of people. Like, um... Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my God. I need to Google myself and call her again. I remember because my, my supervisor one time, one of my older supervisors, she's like, I'm going to put your name down on, on this thing. And at first, I thought it was for a paper. So I was like, yo, what? <laughs> I'm going to be on a paper when we Google Scholar? Well, because I'm working... I was just, I was put just on, as a product scientist oh. for something, I think. When I, when I work... Uh, or as, when a, I work as with, a contributor for When I work something. with him next summer, it'll probably happen again, right? That's going to be super cool. Then I have cool. two papers with my name on it. The problem is that doesn't mean anything when you're getting a job, though, right? Oh, I think that's super cool. Oh, yeah. Super I, cool, but, like, that's more important, like, if you're looking to do, like, a master's or, like... I mean, that would count as project work. I mean, there was a few co-ops that I was looking at that that had done project work that I was, like... But I have that project work, but, like, actually having a name on a paper. Like, yeah, that, I mean... See, the last thing I, I Googled was my supervisor's name and then my last name. Because <laughs> <laughs> I was checking. But it's, like... This goes back to a thing that I think about a lot, like... So I've always said it was like, like, you know, when Hidden Figures came out, we talked about this before. Yo, did something show up? Yeah. Oh, that's freaky. What is it? Is it something you worked on? Yeah. Is it the mouse thing? No, it's the fruit fly thing. It's the. F- so I'm on the fruit fly thing. Yo, let me I'm see. I'm on the fr- two faces of Drosophila Suzuki invasion effects on invader invaders and communities. What? Yo, you need to put that on your resume tomorrow. Sarah Papard! I'm on here! I'm on here! What year is this? This is in 2015 when I did... Oh my (gasps) god! How did she not tell you? (gasps) She never... That's so cool! Oh my god. That's so cool! (laughs) (laughs) You have a paper! I want a paper! You have a paper! I I never knew she included me on this! Time... Tanya Stemberger! That's the girl that I did, uh, that I, I did my, I just volunteered for. Was she a PhD? No, she was a, I think she was a, I can't remember what, at what stage in her, her studies she was when I, when I joined her. Oh my god. That's pretty neat. Oh my god, I need a control F for my name here. Where am I? It just won't. Oh, I think I have. You may have to download it. Oh my god. (laughs) Oh my god. I'm freaking out right now. I wonder. I wonder what she. Because, yeah, I was. Like, that was so long ago. Did she not tell you that she'd be using. No! Is, Is that. Is or that, maybe she is told that standard me, practice? Maybe she told me that she was working on it, and I forgot. <clears throat> I probably just forgot. I mean, Tony told me not to expect it for at least another couple of years. This is her thesis. Her PhD thesis? I think so. Masters of Science. This is for her masters. Is she an MSc? Does it say MSc? Oh yeah, so it's for her masters. Masters of Science. Yeah. Tony Williams. He was the chair. Uh, <laughs> Tony's great. Tony's super great. I loved it. He's running a, he's running a 100 level BIS course. 
Yeah. For a breath science. Oh, Called yeah. the evolution of sex. That's super cool. That's super cool. That's super and cool. And the picture, I think the picture's like two like penguins doing like a mating dance. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, I want Tony's to read this paper now. Because I, I'm, I would, I'll, I would recognize which part of my, my project she did. Oh my god. All those days at SFU until 7 o'clock, just sex and fruit flies. Just being like, that's that, a You need to say a that female. a different way. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, you know what I mean. I know what you mean. It's just looking at fruit fly butts that are just... <laughs> fruit fly butts. Yeah, just looking at which the butts. Which one's shorter and which one's longer? Which one's... It looks which like, one has more stripes? Yeah. The, the big booty bitches with stripes, those are females. Males are stubby black butts. What you got against black butts? They're males. They go into that pile. Black butts are usually better than white butts. <laughs> <laughs> Let's be honest. Oh my god! I need to read this paper. You read I need. The paper. I need to figure out, because I, I my my project was looking at the two different species. Because Drosophila melanogaster, which is like. Man, you're. So the work that you did was, uh, as this male as this female, and it was like pretty defined lines. The work that I did was like, here's... Well, it's not, is this male... My, my work was looking at how, like, which, which population's gonna fuck it up. Or fuck each other up more. Because my, my project was pretty much putting uh, Milan, Drosophila melanogaster, which is the fruit flies that you see all the time in mm-hmm, North America. Yeah. Those, those guys are mean, and they will fuck other species up. Because Drosophila, Drosophila suzukii, or spotted wing Drosophila... Uh, they come from different parts of the world. They've popped up independently all over the places in different times in the world. Like, I think I was told, like, it's who knows why, like, the pattern that they popped up. But they're, they're way more docile. Like, they're way less aggressive. And it was pretty much putting uh, some Suzuki eye, some Melanogaster in, uh, I think they were in vials. Some with um, just agar. I wish I could have just sat there and watched them fight. But it was pretty much uh, putting them... I think it was putting adults in uh, some tubes that either had just the agar substrate that both of them could eat. Mm -hmm. Or uh, an agar with a blueberry. Or just a blueberry. Because the blueberries had skin that were thick enough that... Fruit flies can only really just uh, eat, attack fruit that have pieces exposed mm-hmm. with the juices, and that's what they eat. But Drosophila suzukii have the pierce, pierced, ov- they have serrated ovipositor, and they just, like, you know, a- xenomorph just, they just can pierce the skin. They can pierce, like, strawberries, blueberries, things like, like, probably peaches, too. I don't know apples. Apples might be too... Peaches have pretty thick skin. Peaches have thicker skin than apples. Do they? Oh, yeah. Oh, I guess. Well, my test was blueberries. It was funny because, like, we literally bought those blueberries at, like, that that market at SFU. Oh, yeah? We, like, bought the blueberries (laughs) for it. And, yeah, it was seeing seeing whether Melanogaster would recognize the blueberry as something, as a food source... Would they defend that food source even though they couldn't technically use it mm. to eat and reproduce? Or would they not care? It was it was something like, um, 
because my my title for my paper I think was interspecies interspecies competition competition between you know that and it, the title I think includes something like based on resource resources. This is what I mean. Like you go back and read paper titles, you're like, what did I make up that name? I feel like <laughs> so many of my my projects have long winded titles. I mean, that's science. It's such a specific thing. You need to identify yeah. what it is. But, I mean, like, when I was doing mine, it was, like, such, like, a figure it out, like, create your own criteria of things yeah. that you're looking for and stick to that. I bet if I find in this document blueberries, I'm going to find the part that I participated in. Blueberry. Ugh. Yes. Oh, my God. Okay, blueberry. Okay, it's just talking about them. Oh, it's just talking about the impact. Oh, I think that was it. No, is that it? Yeah, it's just talking about after overposition, larvae developed at the same rate. This was set such that flies reached eclosion at 11 days after overposition based on the average values given by blah, 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 blah. Larvae developing on blueberry and yeast media. I think that's what we used. It was yeast like media. agar, or maybe this is another another study. I don't uh, know your that's all. It. That's all it's given me. She probably. That's pretty cool. That's pretty neat. My name's on it. You should send that to your supervisor. Oh my god! I You're like, no hey, look, clue. I've got a published paper. You should give me more money. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god, I can't believe my name was on that. I'm pretty sure that's all my name was on, because the next, the next result was at Sarah Thompson. <laughs> but it's... Uh, but yeah, like, I was thinking so about, cool. I was thinking about how, um... There's another Papard. <gasps> Do you have another one? Is that yeah! your rats? Is that your rats one? For the one? mouse thing! Your mouse, yeah. We thank Lisa Wilde and Sarah Papard for assistance in the isolation of bones in IGF BB5 Eliza. I isolated the bones. So you're not, you're not a co-author. You're just. I'm an acknowledgement. Yeah. An acknowledgement. See, I'm gonna be a co-author. Were you a co-author in the first one? Was um, your name was an author? Because he's gonna put me down as a fucking author. That's pretty great. I'm I'm on a big list of. I think this is this might be just the list of people who um, worked for her. Mm -hmm. Yeah. See, and especially Aaliyah Khan. Were both of these 498s, or were they paid girl, positions? This girl, like, actually had a paid position. So I think I'm in the acknowledgments. Mm. Yeah, this is an acknowledgement. I'm an acknowledgement in a P in a thesis, and I'm an acknowledgement in... See? PAPP2 deletion has sex and age-specific effects on bone and mice. I isolated those bones. Isolated those bones. But I also isolated so many kidneys, and I was sad that there was no effect. Yeah, but like I mean, at the same time, that's more that thing that I was talking about. Like you expect it to be effective, and there's no effect. Yeah. So I was thinking, I that's something I was thinking about. How like, so you know when Hidden Figures came out a couple years ago about the black woman that worked for NASA. Yeah. And like, how it was like this big thing about how like look look nobody knows about these women that made a big difference in NASA like these mathematicians and everything. For, yeah putting people in space and like i've always thought it would be like super interesting for like a like bbc or cbc to do a docuseries on like the um 
or even ABC to do a docu series on like the just the the women of science that you don't know about, like Watson and Crick. There's like a lady who. Yeah, I but, hear like, a lot of things where it's just like, or they just straight up stole work from the women who work for them, and they're gonna be like, "What you gonna do about it?" Yeah, well, I looked into the Watson and Crick thing, and if I remember correctly, mm-hmm. it was a few weeks ago that I looked into it. Yeah. It was like, um, a woman had a whole bunch of pictures. She got super good at, like, reading x-ray crystal- crystallography. Yeah. Um, because there's a lot of math that goes into it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, like, uh, I think it was called, like, Photo 51 or something like that, or f- something like that. Yeah. Which um, is... Was that, like, the Watson was, and Crick DNA it was, photo? It was the one that ended up, like, somehow it ended up in Watson and Crick's pile of uh, data. Because she left. Mm-hmm. And, like, she left because she got, um, because she was, like, bashing heads with, like, her supervisor. Because, mm-hmm. like, her supervisor wanted one, was saying one thing and she was saying something else. And then, like, she's like, I can't do this anymore. I need to go work somewhere else. Okay. So, like, it wasn't their photo. But it was, like, hers. So, like, I can't remember if she actually came up with it or, like, she had she did, like, the math for it and they looked at it. Mm-hmm. But, like, I think that would be super cool to learn about all those, like, women that got left behind. Not, mm-hmm. not like, because, um, like, I think it would be cool to learn about the story of Watson and Crick as well, mm-hmm. right? And about all these things. The problem is, like, you go back far enough and, like, the, like people in science were mostly, like, rich white men. Mm, right yeah and there's like not much interesting about that mm. <laughs> right Can't, i don't really tell that story but um uh i think it'd be cool to hear those stories but at the same time that's also just kind of what it is like mm. um if you're just an undergraduate working for a researcher if you find something interesting it still goes on the researcher's paper yep you're not writing that paper yeah. That's just how science is. And I've been thinking a lot about how, like, there's a lot of, like, like oh, all these forgotten women in science. Like, um, everyone knows Mary Curie's name, right? Yep. The one who, the woman who worked on Oh, radiology. yeah, she wasn't forgotten. Yeah, she wasn't forgotten. She's, like, one of the, because, she's, like, the first name you think about when you think women in science. Yeah. And, like, like, uh, radioactive elements. Yep. Right? She died. Like, she literally died studying these things. Yeah. She got cancer from it. Um, and because of her death is, like, one of the reasons why we're so, like, radiation is such a huge thing that we know about. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, like, that's also just kind of how it works. Like, you mm-hmm. work for a researcher, and you might get an acknowledgement on the bottom of a paper, but that's not what matters. It's the researcher's name that's going to get remembered because it's published yeah. as the author. So, like, on the one hand... Yeah, we should know more about these people. But on the other hand, that happens all the time. And it's not just women. It's undergraduates. Right? Yeah. And I guess in some cases, like, I don't know. Like, maybe in a lot of cases, it's the undergraduate that goes, that comes up, like, says, comes up with an idea and then talks about it to the researcher. And then Mm -hmm. the researcher publishes it. Like, you might show up as a co-author, but you're still going to show up, like... You're not the principal. Yeah, you're not the principal researcher, even if it was your idea. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. And maybe they're more strict about it now. Right. Maybe they're more strict about giving proper credit where it's due. Yeah, and like especially now, like a good researcher will be like, "You had this groundbreaking idea, like I'm going to give you that credit, and then it's going to propel your career." Mm. Right. Yeah. Um, 
which is what you should do, right? Mm-hmm. But like, that's just been science for a really long time and kind of how it works. Yeah. Right? And I think like, there's a lot of people who don't realize that. I guess, because yeah, nobody's really looked at, um, I guess it's easy to focus on women as a point of like, you know, Especially like uh, women in science in the early injustice, 1900s. Yeah. yeah, but like if you if you probably look at if you had some way some magic way to look at all the men and women, like maybe it's fifty fifty. Who knows? Maybe yeah. Who knows? I mean, there's going to be a lot more been... men in science, especially like pre nineteen seventies, nineteen sixties. Like yeah, that's true. It's going to be a lot more men. Yeah, but um, yeah. I could definitely imagine like way more. You know, just men working for other scientists and then and then just taking their ideas and mm-hmm. just being like what you gonna do about it yeah <laughs> do you want this acknowledgement or not <laughs> yeah I mean it's not like again cause like I mean you get an undergraduate working for you and like they f- they discover this thing like say like in more modern context they discover a gene mm-hmm. right but you have, like, a PhD with a couple masters on working under them, with a couple undergraduates working on the, mm-hmm. under each one of those master's students, right? Mm-hmm. Say that. Usually the master's students may be working on their own thesis or whatever, but, mm-hmm. like, you have a whole team of researchers, right? Yeah. And if the undergraduate student finds something, it's still only going to be published on one paper. Yeah. Right? Like, so, like, if that undergraduate student uh, does a whole lot of bioinformatics find some data it's like oh look at this gene it looks like this gene affects that mm-hmm. it's going to go up the ladder they're going to do some research on that one gene mm-hmm. and then it's going to get published by the master's student or a p or like a phd student or whatever mm-hmm. and like you know maybe that student get, that undergraduate students get props maybe they don't they probably should yep but quite often they were only looking into it because they were told to right like yeah sometimes they'll be told to do something and they're working in a lab and they'll stumble across something and then in their own time or like while they're in the lab they'll like focus in on this yeah. other thing i guess i guess or if... they'll stumble across something and they'll go to the research like hey i know you want me to look at this thing but this really cool thing popped up can i work on that instead and yeah. sometimes they'll let you do that so i think a lot of people like like when i was working for 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 those two um for those two people like if I would have found something, I would have been like, I don't know how to research this. Like, I would have been like, you need to tell me what to do to, oh, to yeah. investigate this. That, that was, that was right? me working with Tony. Yeah, I'd be like, here's the thing, but like, I don't know what, right? And they would be like, okay, so we're going to do this, 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 and this. Mm-hmm. And then, and then you're going to run this data and, and show me it and we're going to discuss it. Mm-hmm. Like, I, would, I wouldn't be like, cool, I'm going to run with, I, I found I had a so thing. many meetings with Tony where I was like. He's like, here's what I want you to do. And then we went and sat down at the computer and I worked a little bit. Then I came back to him and I'd meet with him like a couple weeks later. I'm like, okay, here's what I'm doing. Here's the problems that I've run into. How do I fix it? And he'd either be like, here's how you fix it. Or like, you got to figure that out yourself. Like, because mm. I haven't done that before. Yeah. And then like you get to the end and you run the data, you run the analysis. And it's like, oh, this yeah. is some cool stuff. And then you talk that through and like, okay, well, what about this? Mm-hmm. And you finish your data analysis. Like, it's generally a team effort right oh yeah like but a I mean, lot of the analysis of my dad i would have never figured out how to troubleshoot without and i'm like i'm sure like back in the 60s and stuff it was much more like like that was one of the things with watson and crick is um 
should probably find out what that lady's name is because I keep referring to her working <laughs> with Watson. And that Craig. lady. But um, like, uh, the men she was working with didn't want to acknowledge her as a scientist. Mm-hmm. Or I think she was technically a mathematician that got into like X-ray crystallography. Yeah. I think that's what it was. I can't remember. Um. Uh, they like they were turning her no their nose up at her because she was a woman of science and there no way in hell she could be as good as them. Mm. While meanwhile she was like doing better things than they were. Rosalind Franklin. Okay. Yeah. 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 Yeah, biography and discovery of DNA structure. July twenty fifth, nineteen twenty. Photo fifty one. Yeah. Uh, she had a PhD. She was working with Jacques. She and had Mary. a PhD. She had a PhD at the time. Her work were her. Uh, she was determined to make a contribution to the war effort and published several papers on the structures and use of coal and graphite. Her work was used in development of the gas mask that helped keep British soldiers safe. Her work earned her a PhD in physical chemistry awarded by Cambridge University in 1945. In 1947, Franklin moved to Paris to take up a job in the laboratory, cent- laboratoire central working with Jacques Marin on perfecting the signs of x-ray chromatography by all accounts she was very happy in paris easily earning the respect of her colleagues uh she was known to enjoy doing meticulous mathematical equations necessary to interpret data about atomic structure that was being revealed by x-ray techniques however in 1951 she reluctantly decided it was necessary to move back to london to advance her scientific career uh uh Skirting the leftover bomb crater to enter the lab at King's College in London, Franklin found she was expected to work with antiquated equipment in the basement of the building. She took charge of the lab with her customary efficiency, directing the graduate student Raymond Gosling and making needed refinements to the the X-ray equipment. She was annoyed when she discovered that she was expected to interrupt her work and leave the building for lunch every day. Women were not allowed in the college cafeteria. Nevertheless, yeah. (laughs) That's some of the fucked up things. Like, you know, like, there was definitely fucked up shit. Nevertheless, she and Gosling were making progress in studying DNA when Maurice Wilkins, another senior scientist, returned from his vacation. Wilkins, here's, this is what I was talking about. Wilkins was upset to learn that the female, quote, assistant, who he had expected would be working for him, was instead a formidable researcher in her own right. In this tense atmosphere, Franklin continued working to refine her X-ray images, using finer DNA fibers and arranging them differently from her chromatography, Hmm. but she began to fear she had made a mistake leaving Paris. Wilkins, also uncomfortable, began to spend more time at a nearby Cavendish laboratory with his friend Francis Crick. Crick and his partner James Watson were working on a model-based approach to trying to discover the structure of the DNA molecule. Around this time, Franklin and Gosling made a starting recovery. There were two forms of DNA shown in X-ray images, a dry, quote, A form and a wetter, quote, B form. Because each X-ray 
chroma chromatograph had to be exposed over 100 hours to form an image, the drier quote A form seemed likely to produce images in more detail. Franklin set aside the quote B form to study later. She noted that the B form images appeared to show a definite helical structure that were two clear strands visible in, image, in the image she labeled photo 51 before she filed it away. Around this time, Franklin attended a conference given at Cavendish to observe an early DNA model being proposed by Watson and Crick. She was quite critical of their work, feeling that they were basing their model solely on conjecture, whereas her own work was based on solid evidence. Her treatment of, her, of, her treatment of his friends widened the gap between her and Wilkins, uh, which was her... Uh, Graduate student? Yeah, or the, the guy that she was supposed to be the assistant to. Oh, yeah. Uh, leading to an even more strained relationship at King's College. Franklin was so unhappy that people in the lab began to talk behind her back, calling her, quote, the Dark Lady. In 1953, she decided to move back to Burbeck College to escape, uh, to escape King's. Somehow, during the move, Wilkins came to be in possession of Franklin's note and the files, notes and the files containing photo 51. Wilkins removed the photo from her records without her knowledge or permission and took it to show his friends at Cavendish, being Watson and Crick. My mouth fell open and my pulse began to race, wrote Watson in the famous book, quote, the, quote, uh, the famous book, The Double Helix. It was the one bit of information that he and Crick needed to complete an accurate model of the structure of DNA. Photo 51 was proof that the DNA's helical structure had two strands attached to the middle by the phosphate bases. They hurried to publish their findings in the journal Nature. The same issue, the journal published much shorter Wil articles by Wilkins and Franklin, but placed them after the long article by James Watson, seeming to imply that their work merely served to confirm the important discovery made by Watson and Crick, rather than being integral to it. Um, so Franklin did have a publishment in, in that. Uh, Franklin had moved to Burbank. Part of the arrangement was that she allowed her was that allowed her to King's, leave King's was that she would not pursue the research on DNA, so she turned her talent studying virus particles. Mm. Uh, she made important discoveries about the tobacco mosaic, vi mosaic virus and polio, the work done by Franklin and the other scientists at Burbeck during the time laid the foundation of modern virology. Mm. She died on April 16, 1958, of ovarian cancer. Rough possibly caused by her extensive exposure to radiation while doing x-ray crystallography. Because the old Nobel Prize can only be shared among three living scientists, Franklin's work was barely mentioned when it was awarded to Watson, Crick, and Wilkins in 1962. Uh, by the time The Double Helix was written in 1968, Franklin was portrayed almost as a villain in the book. Watson describes her as a belligerent, Jeez. emotional woman unable to interpret her own data. It was only in the past decade that Franklin's contribution had been acknowledged and honored. Today, there were many new faculty scholarships and research grants, especially those for women being named in her honor. So, okay. Yeah, I was wrong. Like, she had some notes on it and stuff, um, but was taken to Watson and Crick was the x-ray crystallography work, which they weren't using. Mm -hmm. They were using, like, a more model-based approach. Mm-hmm. So, I just spent way too long reading that. Holy shit. <laughs> I'm, like, super drunk now. <laughs> um, yeah. 
That's, um... Man, that would make such a good movie. Right? Just, There's so much, like, shit was, going on I there. I was just, like... Oh, I was, like, so interested. <laughs> like, that, that would make such a good drama. Like... Like, oh my god, like a Netflix miniseries about... Like a two or three episode thing? Yeah, right? That would be pretty good. I mean, I wish I could go back. I wish, like, in the future we're gonna have the ability to just, like, spectate on the past. Oh. And just see what really happened. Wouldn't that be great? And when you died, you could just watch your life over? That would be super... I mean, I would skip a lot of it due to cringe... But like I would, <laughs> I would look at like everyone, young everyone children. Has like, everyone has a period between like thirteen and nineteen that you just don't need to see that. Nope. Don't nope. need to see that. <laughs> next would, chapter. Next chapter. Elementary school. I would. I would watch all my elementary school. Absolutely none of middle school and maybe the first two years of high school. The first two years then, of high school, I absolutely skip. <laughs> yeah. There's there's nothing I want to relive from that age. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Rough years. <laughs> I love that belligerent, emotional woman unable to interpret her own data. That's fucking rough. Burn. What a dick. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, that's what you call uh, a PhD who's just con- who just continued to make well, important <laughs> con- contributions to science before I, and after she worked for their lab. As a well, he wasn't. She wasn't working in their lab. She was working in her own lab, separate at a different university. Cause he was. She was at King's College. They were at um, Burbank. Oh, that's right. Okay. So like. Uh, the she was supposed to be assistant to the other guy, mm-hmm. and the other guy got a hold of her photos and took it over to Watson and Crick. Hmm. Right. Yeah. So like, that's kind of the fucked up thing, I guess you would say. That's kind of stealing. Yeah. But like, that's really kind of stealing. Yeah, it's definitely stealing. So I guess that's different. But there are some, like, things where it's like... Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I would totally watch that if it was a Netflix miniseries. I would watch the crap out of that. It would Every episode would end on, like, uh, a cliffhanger, cliffhanger, where it's just like... Where they, like, look at photo 51, and you see, like, a stamp in the corner. Well, it, like, and then the episode ends, and you're just like, oh, it was it, the it, photo. It ends with, like, him, like, looking at a photo, and then there's, like, a long pause and, like, building music, and then he, like, slides it into his briefcase and leaves. Uh. And it shows him, like, going over to, like, Burbank College or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. No, that would be pretty good. That would be pretty good. That would be such a good miniseries. Yeah. I was going to say something, but I completely forgot what I was going to say. I just hate that when that happens. Brain farts? Or just... No, not even a brain fart. Just things disappear? It's just like, you're going to say something and then someone else keeps talking and then your brain starts thinking about what they're saying. And then what you want to say. It just slowly dissolves. It's like, into, just dissolves away. Back to nothingness. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Especially if you have, like, something really good to say. <laughs> and then you feel it. You can feel thoughts dissolve. I think that's... I think just, Joe Rogan has, like... A notepad on his podcast. So, like, yeah. if he has an idea, he'll write down one or two words and let the person keep talking. Yeah. And then, like, he'll go back to those, to his notes, to, mm-hmm. like, go back to his idea. That seems like a good idea. Yeah. It seems like a pretty good idea. Good. If you want to have, like, a real good, dis- like, in-depth discussion. Well, I mean, he talks for, like, three hours. Although, 
we've been going for two at this point. Oh my god. Yeah, we've been going for a long time. Yeah. But. Yeah, I mean. The thing is that like, she had her. X-ray thing stolen, and like I guess. The guy saw her notes as well. That sucks. Could you imagine just being like you have to like leaving because you're being mistreated because you're a woman? Yeah. Like. That's crazy. Being called a belligerent, emotional. Right. Person. You're just, you're on your period, okay? Oh my god. You just need to calm down. It's because you have a uterus. Just because you have a uterus. Look it up. Look at look at what uterus means in the encyclopedia. It's like that's what you have. That's why. You, that's why you can't be a scientist. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe I had it in my notes. Maybe it was. If not, we should probably call this podcast pretty quick here. Yeah. I gotta pee again. I'm fading. How are you? You get, you getting tired? Yeah. You getting sleepy? A little bit. I just uh, slowly becoming one with the couch. Just getting. Well, I mean, you have two pillows and a blanket there, and mm-hmm. you're like completely horizontal. <laughs> <laughs> this is like, this is this podcast this is started my... with you sitting up, and now you're like. Was I sitting up? Yeah, you 100 percent were sitting this up. Is, I just this is how I have my discussions. Just you probably faded down. into it while I was reading about Rosalind Franklin. Not gonna lie, I was I was interested, but also very sleepy. Oh, that's what I was going to say. What? Um, one thing I'm very, like, wary of... This may not be exactly what I was going to say, but this is one of the things I forgot I was going to say. One thing is I've been very wary of in my undergraduate is, like, how so many people in science will, like... Like, there's been a lot of times in science where, like, the general consensus of most scientists is this one thing... Mm-hmm. And then someone else discovers something else and they say, look at this data. This data shows that what we thought before was wrong. Mm-hmm. And then everyone just pushes against it and like discredits them and this and that. And then over yeah. time, more and more data comes out until eventually there's like the paradigm shift to say like, I oh. I feel like there's there's a lot of that in vertebrate scientists, vertebrate science, especially with like, when did the first bird, like people have their whole careers being like, Based on all my research, this is when feathers first appeared. And then all of a sudden, there's just this other piece of rock that had... Arteopteryx. Yeah. 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 Joan, Joan Sharp, I think, was um, my prof for vertebrate biology. And so much of what we were learning was... I, I think she... Okay, hold on. She, I'm going to pause it again. Cause I have to piss real bad okay and then we'll finish the discussion and then we'll shut it down okay i'm just i'm gonna explode that's what's don't happening don't explode there. do you not have to pee i guess you stopped drinking a while ago yeah you just kept pouring yourself drinks i mean i've only had four you had three mm. okay well i have i i had oh yeah yeah because as soon as that whole that whole ordeal came, I think it was like while I was taking that course, she she brought it up that you know this thing was found and now there's so much pushback against it just because it pretty much discredits like 
a whole lot of scientists' theories about, you know, the proposed timeline mm-hmm. of when feathered dinosaurs started to yeah. come about. So, like, I mean, I don't know if I'm ever going to do my PhD or even if I would even do my master's. Mm-hmm. Um, but, like, if I did, I that whole thing about just focusing on what you know just like being like well this is the accepted uh ideas in science today mm-hmm. right just focusing on that um but just being open to new ideas mm-hmm. <laughs> um just you know I, i'm trying like just super hard to be open to new ideas mm-hmm. that's a lot of rum that's that's like two shots worth of rum right there. Maybe it is. You're going deep. You're going, going hard. You're going deep. Going round two. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just thirsty. <laughs> Maybe we should just keep this podcast going <laughs> three hours long. Oh my god. Um, this is going into Rhonda, pa- Rhonda Patrick like <laughs> podcast now. Um, just like realizing that things can change. And yeah. like... Not just being, just being like, okay, well, maybe, maybe. But I mean, aren't. it's different now because, like, I haven't spent the last twenty years of my life doing research on this one thing. But like, also recognizing that, um, you know, why is this over here? Also, realizing that, like, even if you had spent twenty years, like, for the thing, like, if a fossil has never been discovered, I'd like. Let's say, okay, feathers evolved. How long was the originally proposed that feathers evolved? Because I haven't taken vertebrate biology yet. I can't remember. Okay. So All I remember is it was, I think it, a the, fossil, years ago? the fossil that they found was way earlier. Yeah, yeah. I but know like, that. not just a little bit early, but like way, way earlier. Yeah. So, to be okay. like, we have to rethink things. So let's, let's say like. So that's what the, like, oh, the carbon dating the, wrong. The current, the current. Let's say, initially, the speculation was a million years ago was when feathers first evolved. Mm -hmm. Okay? And then let's say... (laughs) Then let's say uh, the fossil showed up that said feathers evolved three million years ago. Mm. Um, Actually, let me look that up. For things like that, it's like, well, we just didn't have that data. Yeah. Right? We just didn't happen to have that fossil. We didn't have that information. Yeah. And just being able to say, like, well, we didn't have that information before. But again, this is coming from someone who hasn't spent 20 years of my life saying one thing. Mm. Right? Um, but the important thing to remember is, like, when I, was, when I was a kid, my dad told me about the thing about science. The mm-hmm. key rule of science is not proving that you're right. 150 yeah, million years ago. Yeah, I was way ago, off. Was yeah. Archaeopteryx. A million, three million is a very short <laughs> amount of time. Yeah. Um, uh, my dad told me that it wasn't about... Uh, it's not mm-hmm. about proving yourself right. It's about trying to prove yourself wrong. Right? Mm. And I, I wonder how many scientists get lost along the way. In being right? Yeah. I think it's more like they get caught with being... You know, they, they spend so much time trying to prove something that they... Because th- they th- they've invested 
the problem is investing emotional interest yeah. in your own theory when in fact you should have emotional interest in the truth. Are, are, you, are you familiar with the idea of p-hacking? What is that? Um, so p-values. <gasps> oh, if that's what I think it is, I'm going to be really sad. Yeah, there was a Are big they messing problem. with their p-values? Yes. <gasps> um, no. First of all, Oh, there's that makes a, me so sad. There, okay, so for those listening, a p-value is basically um, a value in which the it's defined as the probability that your the day the the probability that the numbers that you got in your research happened by random chance. That's correct, right? Yeah. Okay, the p-value. I think it has to be. Less than generally the accepted p value is zero point five or point, below. Point zero five, yeah. If it's a if it's below, no. If it's if it's above, that means it's happened purely. There, there's a chance that it happened by. There's a chance that it happened by chance. It was a yeah. random if, happenstance. Yeah, it's pretty much just like the lower it is, the less that it's just random. Yeah, and like the researcher can set their. Um, what's called the alpha value, which is the value you assign to the p-value before you do it. The alpha that you say, the alpha value is the value that if the p-value is below this number, then we can accept it as truth. Yeah. We can accept it as significant, which is what... So, are people setting their alpha as like... No. People are setting their alpha to 0. 0.05 or whatever it is okay, yeah. for that, yeah. whatever their science is, but they're messing with their numbers. They're messing with the raw data. Um, maybe not necessarily. I don't know exactly what they're doing. That's just. But there was there's there's so an article bad. I read a couple of years ago, um, and it was right after I took stats too. That was like, um, there was uh, it came out that a whole fuck ton of articles had um, messed with their p values. Now. That's that's obviously so sad. besides. Well, here's why they do it, because in academia. academia it's publish or perish, right? Um, for those who li mm. who are listening who aren't in uh, sciences or academia, uh, I mean, we're not technically in academia, but, you know... We know of it. We know of it. <laughs> um, if you don't publish articles, you don't have a job. Yeah. Right? Um, if you have tenure, you do one-third research, one-third teaching, and one-third um, administrative duties, right? Mm. If you're not publishing shit in that one-third research... I mean, once you have tenure, it doesn't, you know, you have a job. But, like, mm -hmm. when you're trying to get that tenure, if you're not publishing shit, you're going to lose your job. Yeah. Um, uh, so, if people have done stuff and they have, like, a p-value of 0.07, you can't accept a p-value of 0.07. Oh, and then if you publish a paper that says the study we did has shows no st statistical significance, that's not very valuable to show mm -hmm. that we did this thing that doesn't mean anything. Right, so I mean, to I don't know, like to you me, can, to you, me, it's still valuable because it means that you if you wanted to to study that thing, you could sit, you could look at that person's research, being like, well, they got this, so that gives and us. And there's some ideas. people who use the term near significant, right, which means that it could be a random happenstance that this is not significant. Mm, yeah, there was there was um a specific term that I had to use for numbers that. Just looking at the numbers, there there is definitely a difference. Like there's a difference, mm -hmm. but it's not statistical. Yeah, I think that I had to use some sort of term in the paper that I wrote. Yeah, about 
Um, I mean, the fact I've, that I've, it, I've read it appeared, near significant it many appeared times. to be different. It appeared to be very different, but was not like because like most of the things I've done, like I just don't have a large enough sample size. Mm-hmm. Like if the sample size was larger, and if that trend continued, then maybe. But the fact that I had a smaller sample size, like especially for the the fruit fly stuff, I think um, a lot of my stuff was. Like, when I looked at the data, I'm like, oh my god, there's a difference. And then I ran the data, and I'm like, oh, there's not. Mm-hmm, right? <laughs> and it was like, no, it made me so sad. I didn't yeah. guess, I don't think I got significant. I might have had one thing that was significant. Yeah, it's always so sad when you get, like, a significance of, like, All point the, one, and yeah. you're like, oh. All the things that I wanted to be significant weren't, and then there was just this one other thing that was interesting, but, like, I need to look up my paper that I wrote. That's but, what happened when I was doing my... My Bert, my uh, Finch song stuff. Mm. It's like, oh, that looks significant. And then I run the data. It's like a flat line. And I'm like, ah. <laughs> oh, yeah. As a side note, this is the thing. Because at first, Archaeopteryx, 150 million years ago, they're like, okay, cool. But then it was it was Huxley. Huxley. The Ancornis Huxley. It was 151 to 100. So 10... 10 million years older. 10 million years older. Okay. And that's what's messing with everybody's theories. It's this four-winged little bird dino here. A four-winged bird? Yeah, because the, the legs are also wings. Gross. It has feathers going all along. Because it, <laughs> it used its legs. Cause the wing- As rudders. I guess, yeah. <laughs> and it also has legs. a pretty pretty impressive tail. Flick. That's probably... Tail is usually what's used as the rudder. Yeah. But... Yeah, because yeah, Archaeopteryx lithographica. Yes, yeah, the Huxley thing that... I think that was... That was discovered while it was in vertebrate biology, so... So, in my class, everything stopped and we had to talk about it. <laughs> I think in the beginning of the class, we just had a discussion <laughs> about it. And I think probably this was, like, on the test. I know this. she included this on, on one of the midterm uh, questions, one of the lab, lab uh, exams. We had to say something about this. It's pretty cool. It's got fuzzy feets. <laughs> Fuzzy feets and feathers on its feet. Imagine flying with your legs too. I was. Do you remember a couple years ago when? A, it's just imagine evolution is just like just put wings, just put feathers on all of its limbs, just just give it all the flight power. <laughs> a bunch of people were <laughs> just. It's like when you're playing Kerbal Space Program. It's like just put more thrusters on it. Just put more thrusters on it. That's the answer. Yeah. Our thing didn't do what we wanted to do. Just put more thrusters. <laughs> Um, fuck, what was I going to say? Uh, oh no, it's gone. Do you feel it dissolving? Don't think about it dissolving, because then it dissolves faster. Okay, you were talking about... Feathers feathers on legs, and just imagine flying with your legs. Imagine flying with legs and flapping eggs. Trying to boost your memory here. What were you saying before? Before feathers on legs? Yeah. Or after feathers on legs. Before feathers on legs. Before feathers on legs. 
I don't know what I was saying before feathers on legs. Uh, I can remember. Pull the, pull the web page back up. <laughs> the fact, okay. Because this guy? The big tail? I'm talking about the big tail. It's 10 million years older. Everybody's angry about it. No, it was, it was after that. It was literally like like 45 seconds ago. Oh my god. And then god. you started talking about just putting feathers on everything, and then my brain went to Kerbal Space Program. <laughs> I forgot it. I have had too much to drink. <laughs> i tell you right now. I'm pretty... Uh, I don't know, man. That makes me so angry. Because it was another... It's not a good side tangent. It was a good side tangent. I hate this. <laughs> I hate this. It's so I'm trying to remember what I was saying so I could, I could. Something about feathers like on legs. Thing. The memory you have that memory. It's the. It's the, the memory of the memory. Yeah, you remember. I just need to unlock it. You remember it. thinking about it. Yeah. The me- What was that? It was the the sleep guy in the Joe Rogan podcast was talking about it. The memory. Uh, he used a certain word. It was like accessibility versus something else. Yeah. What was he saying? It was like, you have the memory. The, pretend, the potential to store memories is fantastic. You just can't access them. Yeah. Like, that's why, like, you can go about your day and look at, you know, a certain object and being like, oh, I had a dream about that. And you then you then you remember it. That's why when I saw those videos that Taylor was showing us, I was like, I completely forgot about that. But now I remember it. Yeah. That whole situation. Yeah. Um. Wing bird. Feathers. Feathers. Imagine. Oh, <gasps> I remember what it is. Oh. A little while ago. Um, yeah. A couple years ago, there was like a whole bunch of like articles that came out like, oh, this researcher says that there's a possibility like. Like, it's very unlikely that dinosaurs roared. It's probably more <gasps> likely they quacked they just, like they a duck. Or they hissed. But like, I think yeah. Do we talk? Do we talk about we this on a about, previous podcast? We we talk. I think we just had a conversation about this. Okay. Yeah. So like, I got so angry because like what everyone was reporting on is like, it's more likely that di- like they didn't roar like they did in Jurassic Park. It's probably more likely that they quacked like a duck. Like, bitch. <laughs> no. I can't imagine a Tyrannosaurus, Tyrannosaurus Rex quacking. No. Quack. Like I can like hiss <laughs> for sure. But oh, like, they def- I feel like they definitely hissed. Right, like a, I feel like, like a, I already like like a giant animal like that, like. Just, yeah. Right. Right. Like, they pretty much already were hissing in Jurassic Park. I think they had them, you know, doing the all the all the Velociraptors had, you know. <laughs> or maybe like some clay, some. Oh yeah, they probably had all sorts of different articulations. Right, but like I mean like. Lizards, as we know them today, they all hiss, right? Yeah. So, like, of course, like, like, but what would a giant hiss sound like? Like a... Like, would it be more of like a... That's, that's the thing that sucks. We don't have any tissue, so we can't look at the voice box. Yeah. But you can look at way, like, the noises that giant lizards make, like, like, like a Komodo dragon. Like, they, they're like a... Do they make noises? Oh, they hiss. Other than the hissing, do they make any other noises? I don't think so. Some lizards, like, click, I think. Yeah. But that's, I don't know, I don't think that's a voice box thing. Mm. I think that's a, like, a teeth thing or something. Yeah. Like, 
Man, I feel like dinosaurs are so different than our current reptiles, though. I mean, they could have just had boys. Weren't big, crocodiles big around in dinosaur times? I think they, there was an ancestor of crocodile. I feel like crocodiles have not changed very much at all. Look up, look up. The oldest ancestor of crocodiles. Look up how old crocodiles are. Oh, crocodile! I think crocodiles really—they're like sharks. I think they're like sharks. They're just super freaking old. I mean, there's that's just a what... few species in this world that have just figured it out. They just figured I, it out a long I'm time ago. I'm pretty sure. I just I have this memory of watching something and being like, crocodiles have been the same for a long time. Oh yeah, crocodiles are old as shit. I know that. Uh, let's see. And the way they like. Their mating calls are weird as fuck. Oldest I, ancestor. No, I just want to know crocodiles. Like. Oh, the oldest. Like modern, like. When like did, how old are crocodiles? Like when did the modern crocodile that we know about? Oh, probably. Like, like when when was two hundred million years ago? Two, so that's before di- Archaeopteryx. Before the thing that preceded that's, Archaeopteryx. That's dinosaur times. Oh yeah. That's crocodiles. Di- dinosaurs are- ended sixty-five million years. This so is they a... are fucking dinosaurs. They're fucking dinosaurs. Yeah. I don't care what the fuck anybody says. <laughs> they absolutely are. D- having arisen some 200 million years ago, that's pff, that's 50 million years older than the first feathered dinosaur. That's fucked up. Yeah. That's around the time, like, I think sharks were like 250. Oh, sharks. Sharks might be older, because they're from the water. I mean, alligators they're from, are also kind of I mean, they're from, they're from the, the they're from the, I think, I feel like sharks There's some are older. fucked up ocean monsters from the past, like dinosaur time ocean monsters. I love watching the Discovery Channel shows about those, like Megalodon versus like the giants, like a very ancient species of squid. Okay. I think so it that's, was. There's, you just, there's like Discovery Channel shows and then there's like monster movies. I mean, there's like. <laughs> Meg Shock versus Giant Octopus. It's like, it's like, it's like a, it's like a documentary, but it's like a weird Venn diagram in between, uh, CGI monster movie and Discovery Channel documentary. Yeah, oh man. When did sharks... I want to say like 250. First appear. (gasps) What's your guess? I said 250. 250? Yeah. Three? Three fifty? Three seventy five. Four twenty five. Four hundred five. Four hundred and twenty five. When was the T Rex? Probably probably way later than that. Let's see. Sharks are older than trees. Oh yeah. I love that. That's so that's so crazy when you think about it. There are just some <laughs> animals out there that figured it out. Oh yeah, and they they've just, just been the same. They, they figured just out figured it out. They reached their final form, and right. they just they just kept it. When did what am I what am I googling right now? T Rex. T Rex. You had a lot of to drink in that last one. I feel like you're gonna stand up and take two steps. Oh, I'm fine. <laughs> what am I googling? T Rex. T Rex. Oh, oh my God! This is like a fart in the timeline. Sixty-five. 83.6 to 6.6. That's pretty close. Compared to 425 right? million years ago. Jesus. When was, when was, try to say, when was the first dinosaur? Like, as we know them. What, what's the first Imagine, classified what dinosaur? What was the first dinosaur? 
What is... We should just have a podcast called, called Sarah and Liam Google Things. <laughs> what is the first... Probably one of the first things that crawled out of the ocean. One of the first things that crawled out of the ocean was a fish. 230 million years ago, during the Triassic period, the dinosaurs appeared. Wait, are you telling me sharks are older than dinosaurs? Yeah. Because they're fish. Fish came first. That's true. Fish, yeah, yeah no, fish yeah. obviously came first. Approximately 230 million years ago, during the Triassic period. <laughs> yeah, they evolved from reptiles. Okay, that makes sense. First there was fish, then there was reptiles, then there were... Then, then all of a sudden there was so much oxygen... And then things got huge. Oxygen happened because... Uh, Why did oxygen happen? Something to do with the ocean. The ocean released a bunch, a shit ton of oxygen. And everything Google, got... Google, why was there a surge in oxygen? I remember, I totally learned this in vertebrate, as well as evolutionary biology. Um, there, Yeah, there was like a surge... Cambrian? No, that was still in the ocean times when things... Oh, ocean just... ocean stuff was getting figured out. We got we had so many... That would be so cool to swim in the Cambrian Ocean and just see all the life forms. All the beta testers for life forms. What am I Googling? Uh, why was there... What, what oh, caused surge, the surge, of, surge of oxygen. Of oxygen. Triassic oxygen, I think. Oxygen levels in Triassic period. Oxygen. I need to look up oxygen explosion. I think that's what it's called. It was something because no, it was just the Cambrian explosion. Oxygen increase. Uh. <laughs> Man, the weirdest things come up when you start Uh-oh. to write things in Google. What do we got? We got oxygen increase in in pregnancy. Okay, oxygen increase in blood. Whatever, oxygen increase supplement. How to increase your oxygen? How to increase your oxygen? You just you need to take a pill, Maybe or you, you can just city. or you can just <laughs> breathe more. Breathe more. <laughs> oxygen increase. Uh. Triassic or No, Triassic was later. This, this is such a complicated it's like in my mind another question I want to ask, but there's so many Prehistoric words. surge of oxygen. That's what, prehistoric. What caused the prehistoric surge of oxygen? Because that's why that's why bugs got so fucking that's why yeah, all animals there was got so, so much oxygen, big. they didn't need to be small to be efficient. Mm-hmm. God Prehistoric Could you imagine living with meter long dragonflies? Fuck everything, everything about, about that. <laughs> <gasps> yeah, rise in oxygen levels links to ancient explosion of life. Fishers find. How is this 2017? I figure. I feel like we figured that out way long. Yeah, geological history of oxygen. Where is it? Oh, where is it? Where's the answer? Something happened. It has something to do with the oceans. I think. I think there was, like, plant life in the ocean just, like, surged and well, just released a al- shit ton of oxygen. Algae produces 80% of the oxygen. Yeah, in the... Ab- I think because plants happened. That's what it was. Plants happened. 
Okay. Because there was there weren't plants before, and then plants happened. All the ferns. But then why would the oxygen drop again if it was plants? Uh, Google. <laughs> why did the oxygen drop? We didn't even answer the, the question. The initial question. There's just so many words here right now. It's just, I'm just. I <laughs> want just... an answer. I need Google to show me in bold what the answer to my question is, and it's just giving me wiki pages. Okay. Why Wait. giant bugs once roamed the earth? Okay, National Geographic. That's just going to tell you that there was a lot of fucking oxygen. But like, why? Okay, hold on. Let's... National Geographic is going to... Liam, let me figure this out. <laughs> I can do it. Okay, yeah, yeah. It's just telling me there was a lot of oxygen. <laughs> <laughs> read, this, read this first thing here. Uh, Baby bugs can't... Baby bugs can't control their gases. <laughs> they can't control their gases. <laughs> they don't have the muscles to hold the farts in. The sphincter hadn't developed yet. <laughs> Do bugs have sphincters? They pro- mm, They would have to, right? Because that- they got they have tubes. They have to move things along their tubes, so they have to have. Do sphincters. they have butthole sphincters? Probably. Do they choose when they poop? Do do bugs, do bugs choose, choose when they? Do bugs I feel like choose they when don't they need poop? to choose when they poop. There is no evolutionary advantage to not pooping when it's a bad not time to poop. Not when you're I a bug. Not when you're a bug. You just shit when you're That's a what bug. birds do. Right. They're like it's poop time, and then they poop. They have a sphincter, but they don't use it. <laughs> <laughs> they don't need that in their they life. They don't need it. They're just like flying. Just. It's too much weight to hold on to it. Right? Why? Why have to? Why hold on to your poop? You just poop. The world is your toilet when you're a bird. I think. The world is definitely your toilet. The world is just a toilet. But like, there was an event. God damn it! Where is it? Okay. The Great Oxygen Event, Wikipedia. I love it. Okay. There you go. That's probably it. What did you Google? I don't know. I, I Googled <laughs> prehistoric increase in oxygen. See, I Googled what caused. You need to You need to, You need need to. to Google what caused. I Googled what you told me to Google you. <laughs> well, I Googled it and this is the first thing that popped up. Well, you won. The great you oxygen won. event. I'm giving you this. Uh, O2 buildup in the Earth's atmosphere. Oh, this is the, the great oxygen event. The beginning of what is commonly known in scientific media as the Great Oxygen Event (GOE), also called oxygen c- catastrophe. <gasps> oxygen, that's what it was—the oxygen catastrophe. Oxygen crisis, oxygen holocaust. That's dark <laughs> as fuck. Oh my god. Oxygen revolution and great oxidation was the biologically induced appearance of oxygen in Earth at or dioxygen. Earth just turned in into an oxygen gas chamber. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> that's rough I'm not the one who called it the oxygen holocaust that's fair why would they call it the oxygen holocaust oh I guess so many things died because there's so a lot much of crazy, like there's a lot of things that can't live in yeah. oxygen all the anaerobic stuff yeah oh, probably everything was anaerobic at that time mm-hmm. probably uh geological isotopic and chemical evidence suggests that the major environmental change happened around 2.5 billion years ago 2.45 Mm-hmm. Are you having more? You crazy. You should get up and take a few steps first before I'll you go deeper. You. I'll show you. You're like, bitch, I'm clean. And then you're going to trip and hit your face on shit. Alright. That's fine. 
Have I have I hit my face on things? <laughs> I think I'm pretty fine. Okay. You're, no, I'm gonna pour some. Gonna you're going some. hard. Shh. We go hard on Earth. <laughs> I don't feel like I'm trying. <laughs> you go to pour it in my <laughs> in my glass. Yeah. I don't need any more. I'm okay. Okay. <laughs> You're gonna have my share. <laughs> you might as well just finish it off. <laughs> it's one o'clock in the morning. What are we doing? Oh, what are we doing? We're gonna go for a walk after this. Yeah, you wanna go for a walk? We're gonna go for a walk after this, <laughs> but we're gonna keep going deeper. Yeah. We finished. We're talking. We polished off a Mickey of rum. <laughs> Man, just just talking about dinosaurs at 1 a.m., drinking spiced rum and Coke. Uh, Which, by the way, Sarah only recently discovered. Oh, my God. She thought rum and Coke was just rum and Coke. When I asked for a rum and Coke, they just give me the white rum. I didn't know that there was spiced rum. I didn't know you didn't use spiced rum. Right? You you think that you should just... there's only one way to do it. Yeah, the first time, you know, that lady at Jasmine's wedding was like, which rum would you like? And I'm like... What? <laughs> Just the one that you're supposed to Did use. Did you know that spice rum exists? I don't know. Maybe? <laughs> probably not. I probably knew it was a thing, but I didn't know that that was the delicious rum. Anyway, back to this thing. I want to point out that the oxygen holocaust... Um... I just want to get on your level. <laughs> That's all I want. Okay. The oxygen holocaust. You, you just went way further than I did. Now I was just looking at you like, <laughs> I want to be there. <laughs> I mean, I did pour myself more than I poured you initially. Yeah? I think I, think I had bigger... I think I had tastier drinks. <laughs> <laughs> some may say. Um, the ho- oxygen holocaust happened 2.5... It happened 2.5 billion years ago. Not 451 sharks. Like, the Oxygen Holocaust happened long before sharks. Yeah. Um, during the Sidarian period, at the beginning of the Proterozoic Eon, the causes remain unclear. If, as of 2016, the geochemical and biomarker evidence for the development of oxygen photosynthesis before the Great Oxygen Event has been mostly inconclusive. Oceanic cyanobacteria, which evolved into... <gasps> I remember that. Into coordinated... I had cyanobacteria attack my uh, beta tank once. It sucked. <gasps> it just in turn created just a web of algae. Ew. Was, yeah. Yeah, that's what it was. That's what I was thinking about. Like that. Because some, some sort of organism flourished. Which evolved into coordinated, but not multicellular, even colonial mm-hmm. macroscopic forms from more than 2.3 billion years ago approximately 200 million years before the great oxidation event are believed to have become the first microbes to produce oxygen by photosynthesis before the great oxidation event any free oxygen they produced was chemically captured by dissolved iron or by organic matter the GOE started when oxygen produced by the cyanobacteria started escaping into the atmosphere after other oxygen reservoirs were filled there you go I want to talk about last weekend. Yeah? My mind is all over the place right now. <laughs> when we discovered all the different names for a pie server. 
the pie the pie knife. What was it? What was it? It was it was, it was, it was, it was like a crepe a spade. <laughs> <laughs> no, there's something in there. There's something in there. What was it? It was something shovel. It was a something shovel. A cake shovel? Cake shovel. <laughs> Like, the proper names for things. Like a couple, like uh, when we did our last podcast, we were talking about the cloche and how. <laughs> the cloche. The cloche. And now I'm like, I'm like, nobody's going to invent something and be like, I don't know, name it after what it does. And then it turns out people just called it a pie server. Like, okay, hold on. I need to the read off. Cake this. shovel. Cake <laughs> shovel. The crepe spade. The okay. Cra- <laughs> the crepe spade. Oh, that's so great. Yeah, there's probably an article all about, like, silly names for utensils. Uh, like, hyper-specific names okay. for utensils. A cake and pie server, also called a cake shovel, hmm. a pie knife, a crepe spade, <laughs> oh, this is a pie getter. Ah! <laughs> That's what it was! It was the pie, the pie getter! getter. <laughs> <laughs> hey, this thing you invented, but it says, I don't know, it gets the pie. <laughs> it's how you get the pie. Uh, oh pie lifter or cake slice. To lift the pie. <laughs> most like, like I don't know which one I like the most. Crepe spade, pie getter, or cake shovel. Cake shovel's pretty fucking good. Cake shovel's great. But, but cra- just getter. It's a pie getter. <laughs> you get like, the it's pie. Like, simple. Like, they, they boiled someone, it down to someone, the most... Someone invented most, this thing. They, they boiled it down to the most just basic This is what verb. it does. Can <laughs> to you, get Can you grab the pie get getter? The pie. Like... <laughs> I need to get a pie getter. You need oh to buy God. a pie getter. And I want to. We should have something, and then it's just we should just have it metal engraved on the handle. Pie getter. We, we'll have a pie getter. A we'll pie have getter. a cake shovel. And a crepe spade. <laughs> It'll be shaped as a shovel. Oh my God. We'll have a little, you know, the handle. It'll just the be end a garden spade. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. But you don't. Okay, pie getter. I get. Yeah. Crepe spade, I also kind of get. But cake, shovel, nobody's shoveling a cake. You're not stabbing it in the middle of the cake and like, you're... Don't judge. <laughs> <laughs> what if, so, but if you're doing that, you're using a fork, right? Yeah. You're not sitting there with a crepe spade and like digging into the, the, the cake and just like... Yeah, a cake is more delicate. That's a del- more delicate you don't operation. Just, like... You could you, shovel into a pie. You can a shovel pie, a pie. Shovel, no we have a pie shovel, shovel. We have, we have shoveled, literally shoveled a pie. We have shoveled a pie many times. Yeah, that's something we've definitely done. Pro tip to anybody listening right now. When you eat a pie from the pan, eat from the outside in. Don't start from the middle. Okay. Should we call it? Should we call it? I feel like we're now... We're getting so jazzed right now. We're, we're pretty wired right now. <laughs> uh, like, you're, you're five drinks in. And the last two five? were... The last two were... No, you're... Yeah, you're five. Because you had three, and then I had four. And this is your your second one since you stopped at three. And your sec, the last two you've had were pretty tasty. I had a little bit for you, a little bit for me. Yeah, yeah, you had my share. So you had four and a half, and then plus half for me. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Okay, I mean, I don't we know. Need to, we should stop. Should we call sleep it? Sleep is or important. Should we just keep sleep going? is important. You're not going to sleep anytime soon. No, I'm very jazzed You're right now. You're fucking wired. I've had so much coke. It's fucking. <laughs> I've had so much coke. 
You doing all that coke? Yeah. <laughs> oh, I mean, man. we could we could pause it and return once you go pee. Yeah. Or we could just. I don't Do know. Do you want to just keep keep talking till we or, burn out? We could go deep. We can go deep until know. we burn I out. I don't think we've earned the people's two and a half hours of attention though. <laughs> How long have we been going? Let's I think. See. I think we're getting close to three hours at this point, oh. to be completely honest. We've reached Ron we, Patrick levels of we, podcast. We, we started at 10.30? Something like that. Yeah. Where are we at here? It's a time just goes away. The time just melts. We're two and a half hours in. Should we just make it to three? I mean, we could go to three. We're just the last the last hour of this podcast is just a drunk rambling. <laughs> <laughs> We should just have a... a we could a, go to three, and then we'll go for a walk and try to burn off all this liquor. Yeah? We can just have, like, like the podcast where we're, we don't get drunk and just actually have intellectual conversations. Well, that's what the first hour and a half of this was. And then, like, oh, that would be so good, though, if our podcast was just, like, we start out sober and intellectual <laughs> and end the podcast just drunk Just, like, and shouting ram- at each other about... Shouting at each other about dinosaurs. <laughs> <laughs> Cyanobacteria! Okay. Oh my god. Okay. Should we, should we just cap it off at three? Or should we just... We, we we could call it at three and then maybe go for a walk. Because we... I mean, we do need to go to bed at some point. Sleep... Yeah. Sleep we do important. We do have jobs. But Monday's a holiday. Monday is a holiday. But I also have to finish packing up tomorrow. Before. Yeah, you have shit to do tomorrow. I don't have a lot of shit to do tomorrow. Once I get to North Van, I gotta kind of unpack my stuff and... Settle in. Settle into that new new life. Yeah. Oh, well. Hang out with Ilya on Tuesday and on Thursday. Mm. So, make dinner on Wednesday. Maybe go for a run. Just try and get in the habit of exercising every day again. Yeah. That's good. <sighs> maybe practice some jujitsu. I was considering getting, like, a, maybe getting, like, a body-sized doll, and then practicing jujitsu with that. Oh my god, getting a doll? that's what some people do. Like, getting, and like, just, like watching a weighted doll? And it's, just... No, it's literally just, like, a doll. It's just, like, a large doll with, like, pivot points at the elbows, and then just, like, practicing, like, rolling with it. That just, that sounds so strange to me. Yeah, but it's just to, like, practice movements and, like, yeah. precision. and like Just because you need something to grab when you're doing those things. Yeah. Cause I, I'm gonna lose all my jujitsu if I don't do it for two years. Yeah. And Ilya, Ilya can't really do it because he has a broken toe right now. When did he get a broken toe? When he was doing jujitsu, someone landed on his toe and broke his toe. <gasps> oh. Yeah. So he can oh, do it. Rough. But his his roommate does jujitsu. So maybe. Yeah. I think there's just a lot of like fundamental things that I don't know about jujitsu mm-hmm. because the way my jujitsu classes work is that we um. <clears throat> Uh, we get taught, it's just like every class is like we're t- getting taught new things. Mm-hmm. So it's not like, here's like basics of jujitsu that you need to know. Yeah. Like basic ideas and like concepts. Right? Mm-hmm. It's just like, here's a move, here's a sweep. Here's, you know, things like that. Anyway, mm-hmm. uh, we'll just pause it real quick and I'll let you go pee. Okay. So I'm thinking, ugh, the best way to close out this podcast is to talk about uh, uh, sort of how there's like a 
there seems to be like a, a, a competition between science and magic. And how, like, <laughs> magic. And magic. And how like, like you're talking about how um, uh, science seems like you're talking to your aunt and like how like oh. she doesn't want to accept how like, you know, oh, well, this is, this is magic. Oh, about, we were watching, I was showing my aunt the, the BBC short about, I don't know, I think it was like tree frogs, just doing tree frog mm-hmm. things, but like really cool tree frog things. And she was like, you know what, like this, 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 this complexity. Mm-hmm. She was like, it's so amazing. And that's why I think, because she became just religious at one point. Yeah. She just became that way. I don't think, I can't remember if she was really religious at one point, but now she's just like, oh, of course she's a god. And we're like, okay. But yeah, she's, she, she attributes the complexity of nature, too. She has to be like, that's why I have to believe that there's there's a higher force. And I'm like, I'm like no, Tia, like, like that's we have what, it's mechanisms more, to explain this. It's more amazing that this happened by random chance and was successful, and that's why it exists, and it's so complex. Yeah. The fact that bugs have gears, a lot of their, there's one bug that literally has gear-shaped muscles, so that it jumps Dragonflies flap their wings, not by muscles at the base of their wings, but by changing the shape of their body. There's two different ways that, uh... What? Yeah. What? I think it's, I know, Uh, I think... That's cool. Butterflies are the same way. So there's two different mechanisms in which... Is it where they pump fluid? (gasps) It's because they pump fluid into their wings? No. There's two different mechanisms in which insects flap their wings. One of them is literally there's just muscles at the base of their wings. Yeah. I think that's more for animals that, like, flap their wings super fast. Mm -hmm. And dragonflies flap their wings super fast, but they're also known to glide. Yeah. Right? And that's the other weird thing about dragonflies is that um, to facilitate gliding on their giant wings, Mm -hmm. they have... uh, um, special, oh, I can't remember what the term, there's a special term for, like, scales on their wings. There's, like... Oh, like the segments? Yeah, there's, like, a segment of the wing. Between the veins. It's darker and heavier than the rest of them along oh. the front edge of the wing. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's heavier, which stabilizes the wing, which allows gliding. Oh. <coughs> but, anyway, so one of them is just... That's cool. One of them is just, is literally just muscles at the base of the wing that allows flapping. Mm-hmm. And the other one is muscles... If I remember correctly, it's hori- uh, oriented horizontally and vertically in the body so that when the vertical muscles contract, it like stretches the muscles, fl- the body flat, which causes the wings to go up. Mm-hmm. And then when the horizontal muscles contract, it, it compresses the body uh, so it's narrower and taller and the wings go down. So the... And I think that's how butterflies and moths fly, yeah. which is why it's so erratic, like, frump, 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 yeah. frump, because, Oh, why? It just looks like... Yeah. Almost Because random. their body's, like, compressing and, like, stretching up and down. Oh, that's crazy. That's crazy. It's weird. I want to find a YouTube video of that. There's, like, a there's like a animation of it on Wikipedia. Yeah? The two oh, different ways. Cool. I could also pull up, like, one of my old, like, insect lectures to show you. Mm. Um... Anyway, like, there's, like, this competition between, like, creationism and, uh, you know, 
evolution. Of... Well, kind of like how 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 people thought that bees fly based on the power of God rather than because they were. I had one guy. I had I had a sort of a science fight with this person over. Um, he was a customer when I was at Sewas. Oh no! And he was telling me he's like, you know, like uh, he was. We were talking about how science is cool, mm-hmm. and he was saying about how. You know, it's, it's crazy that we don't know why bees fly. And I was just like, but we do know how bees fly. And he goes, what? <laughs> <laughs> and I was telling him about how bees, because he's like, yeah, like, you know, they, they ran the, they ran the numbers and they figured out that the, the size of the bees' bodies are way too large for the, the size mm-hmm. of the wings f- to, to facilitate flight. Yeah. And I was like, but, but we do know, but we do know why. And he goes, oh, okay, well, then tell me. I told him. <coughs> it's because bees, when they fly, they, their wings don't uh, just go up and down. They actually flip perpendicular so that they get, there's more, they can cut through the air. So they're not, there's no air resistance. It's like when you're, when, when you're rowing, like when you're rowing a boat. Yeah. You yeah, you the, go you, up. You, you, you turn the water. you turn the paddle sideways. They're cutting through the air. Yeah. In the up movement of their wings, and then so, moving their wings up is almost nothing. Mm-hmm. They cut right through the air. There's like, probably mm-hmm. a very very, compared to having their wings horizontally, mm-hmm. that's a lot of air resistance, and they yeah. would probably drop. Yeah. But they literally, it was. I think they figured this out as soon as they had slow motion. Yeah. Cameras. Yeah. Enough to figure enough to get the frame rate so that they could see the wings go, turning completely perpendicular, mm-hmm. cutting up through the air, and then moving down so that they get way more lift mm-hmm. than than things that don't do this. Mm-hmm. And I told him that, and he goes, "Wow!" <laughs> he was like, "He was like, oh, that's so cool." I'm like, "Right? It's so cool." So like. I kind of have this issue, especially, like, um, I always kind of question a little bit when I find out there's, like, scientists who are, like, extremely religious. Like, if, like, if you're, like, grown up in a Protestant family and, like, you mm. don't actively go to church, but you consider yourself religious, like, that. But, like, when I hear, like, you know, like, there's, like, an astrophysicist talking about how, like, I think it's okay to be religious uh, as a scientist because, like, you know, some t- there's questions that we can't answer with science. And it's mm-hmm. like, well, um... You know, that's God. That in, You see God in those things that we can't answer questions. And that that bugs me because, like, as soon as you answer a question with because God... And you, like, start, you stop it, searching for the answer. Yeah, it closes down that avenue of search. And if we stop searching for the answer to questions because God back in the 1600s, mm-hmm. we wouldn't be anywhere close to where we are now. Yeah. Right? Um you know, you, you just stop searching for the answer. But um, the thing that I don't like is how, like, there are people who would rather think that it's magic than it's science and that there's a reason behind it. Mm-hmm. Because, like, why can't that be, like, why, why is that just not a different form of magic, right? Like... We, just because we know why it works doesn't mean that it's this absolutely insane, incomprehensible thing that's, like, super weird and cool. Like, I mm. mean, why does knowing about something take away the mysticism from it? Yeah, like, right? I think it's incredibly 
Like, I think nature's freaking magic when you think that there are, what was it, oysters or mussels that have the, the piece of tissue hanging out. Yeah. That looks freaking exactly like small fry. Mm-hmm. They have eye spots. They they look like they have patterns and mm-hmm. stripes. Just like the the fry that the larger fish eat mm-hmm. and that the oysters will squirt their sperm into their mouth mm-hmm. so that their babies will grow in their gills. Yeah. Like, that's freaking incredible. And then right? somewhere else in the world, there's the exact opposite of that, where there's uh, fish that will go up to freshwater oysters or freshwater clams, and a pair of these fish will pair up and then a female will come up and shoot its eggs inside the oyster. <laughs> and then a f- male will come up and nut inside the so oyster. So just gang bang the oyster. Yeah. Oh my god. And then the babies will grow up inside the oyster, inside the, the valve of the oyster, so they're constantly getting fresh water cycled over them. And, like, food and stuff. And then That's when crazy. they hatch, they just leave the oyster. Right? That's so cool. So I it's like the exact that. opposite. And like the fact that this evolved and it's such a hyper specific thing to this one situation. And you can literally see it both ways, like mm. in different places of the world. Like, it just, <coughs> it just so happens that fish that, why, why is that it a, lay their eggs and nut near oysters happen to have a high success it's like, rate. It's like, why, why can't that still be magic and amazing? Like, the thing I think about is how, like, Let's say we think about Harry Potter in a world where there is magic. Yeah. They still have to go to school for like five or six years to learn about magic. Right? Like, why is it any different to actually know why this works? Like, um, and you hear about how like, oh, like, scientists are so cold and, you know, they're so calculating and they're, uh, you know, they, they don't have any emotion. First of all, I say, well, do you not want that? Like that, you you want scientists to keep their emotions as separate from their science, to get as close to the truth. Yeah, as it's possible, all about the truth, right? Yeah, you have to put aside what you believe and what you've invested emotionally into. Yeah, and if you can't like, like, why is that a bad thing? But like, also, like, what? Why can't we just appreciate, just like, how amazing? The chaotic, random awesomeness like of nature. Everything about it, from like the way, like different, the way that atoms interact, and if you have more electrons, then it's going to cause this sort of repulsion, and you know there's going to be these connections, and because because carbon has uh, four open spots in its valence shell, it can create these incredibly complex crystalline structures that allow for this whole host like if carbon didn't have that then we probably wouldn't be here right now mm. like w- why why do people not like that like why why does the answer have to be magic or it's miserable like what mm. why, why why they say like oh it takes the fun out of things but why does that take the fun out of it i feel like it's so much i feel like saying magic is like the easy way out there's only so much magic to magic right but when you understand the complexity of science and just how much and the fact that you'll never understand all of it it's that's what's magic right is that you we have a working like if you tell if you tell someone magic they think okay it's unexplainable right yeah and that's it whether you're talking about uh water being a solid liquid and gaseous state 
whether yeah. you're talking about uh, the way, <clears throat> like, uh, the way neural networks match the patterns of uh, different, like, like say the way the way a neural network just happened to match the same way that uh, cities work mm. and like arteries match the same way streets work because these sort of systems appear several places in nature um, whether you're talking about the way scientists figure out computers work or the way reproduction works mm. and how like certain things like blood appear in like so many like most animals like all these different things are so super cool but it's not just magic you know mm-hmm. there's answers to the way things happen yeah like there was a huge there was a huge um debate because over the i can't remember what insect it was or even if it was an insect but in something there's a there's a muscle that is exactly a gear it's shaped like a gear it moves you know sort of as a or fucking it has it has notches and that's why it's able to jump very ATPAs. high. and people people are like oh like where they they like load the spring the yeah spring and loaded. The, and it goes and it yeah. fires yeah and it fires and people and there was a whole bunch there was a whole argument that was like that is way too specific therefore God had to do it and then like, there's there's all this backlash where it's just like well no nature just does how it does and well, sometimes that's what you get. Like, it turns out that this is the most efficient way to do things. Yeah, that's why like, you see it. Like... Because they were arguing, I think, that it's like, it's a man-made thing. We made this, and now we're seeing it in the insect. Mm-hmm. Therefore, God had to do it. Well, th- there's he, like... there's like I don't know. That's, that's the argument for us living in a simulation. Because there's, like, uh, people who started out as um, physicists, mm-hmm. right? And they got their PhD in physics, and then they jumped over to computer sciences, and they're finding things in computer sciences that are re- replicated in the physical world, or vice versa. They started as computer scientists. They went to physicists. Oh, yeah. And they found uh, ways of programming computers to run simulations mm-hmm. that appear in the physical world. And they say, well, you know, this is evidence that we w- were living in a simulation, where I say, maybe that's just the best way to do things, right? <laughs> it's like the... <coughs> The whole pyramid argument. It's like, pyramids show up all over the world from all different cultures. What does that mean? It's got to mean aliens, right? Or maybe it's the best way to stack stones up and have them stay that way for a long period of time. Right? (laughs) Like, (laughs) there were other buildings and structures too. They just all fell down and pyramids don't fall down. Like They're very... Because (laughs) other than... Because that's the simplest, most structurally sound yeah. Shape is a is a pyramid. Or like the thing that blew my mind is ATPAs. When you're reading mm. about ATPAs and the production of ATP in the body, like how we get more ATP. It's, it's a fucking generator. It's a literal molecular generator. Yeah. In a physical sense, not we, like you you have uh you have a wheel, a, a protein wheel. Yeah. That has hydro that sits along a membrane, mm-hmm. right? So if you think about um, like a, a mill, yeah. Uh, with um, or like a water wheel where you have yeah. a, uh, water diverted from a stream, that runs through a, a, 
runs through a man-made channel that goes through a water wheel and then yeah. the water powers that wheel and then that wheel may grind grain or produce power in some way yeah and or in dams where water runs through the dam and it powers a, uh, a big turbine which creates yeah. energy uh in the cell along the the membrane of the mitochondria within the mitochondria um you have areas of high acidity and low acidity and the difference between acidity what measures acidity is the number of uh protons or hydrogen atoms that don't have electrons <clears throat> and along all along those membranes there's the atpase uh protein mm -hmm. uh, which uh the hydrogen flows from uh high concentration so uh low ph mm -hmm to low concentration and because that's happening it literally spins the protein the protein spins and the physical energy from the spinning of that protein the mechanical energy that the protein gets from spinning is then that energy is then taken and put in from ADP it is adenosine diphosphate to ATP so the energy from that spinning goes in is used to create a new pond between phosphates and then that energy is taken elsewhere to power our body mm -hmm. and when i learned about that my brain broke i don't remember the physical spinning of that protein you don't no that's what it is i remember i have like an idea of the the cycle because we had to draw it out we had to be able to just draw it out so there's the cycle there's the there's the there's uh there's the Krebs cycle, but there's like the the whole thing where like you have the electron transport chain. Yeah. Which pulls the hydrogen uh which pulls the electron off the hydrogen and then drip 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 and drops it down the transport chain mm -hmm. through a so the increasingly higher um <clears throat> uh electron affinity. Mm -hmm. Right? And then you're left with the hydrogen. Yeah. And then the proton goes through. Or yeah. like maybe it pulls an electron through from low to high i can't remember i can't remember. anyway the point is something so is moving long. from a high concentration to a low concentration and it's literally spinning a molecular turbine to power our body oh that's so cool and when i, I learned about i need to i need to google this and look up a, a like a what are those like like the literal diagram if you yeah. if you google atpas where's my phone <laughs> It fell. If you Google ATPAs, the literal diagram. <laughs> there it is. There it is. The literal diagram is a turbine. Oh, that. Okay. It's a fucking turbine. Oh my god, I remember that now. Yeah. With the A and the B units. Oh. Yeah. Oh my god. I and the spinning now. of it. See? And the hydrogen oh flows through there. And the spinning of oh, it the creates the energy to produce ATP. Yo. Bodies are so cool. But magic is better. It makes me so sad <laughs> that people people just live in their bodies and don't understand right the, the, i mean i don't know anything complexity. about my body i know nothing but what i do know is absolutely fascinating right like 
and the lac operon, which we don't have. <laughs> lac operon. But when I learned about how the lac operon worked, I was like, what? Oh, the negative feedback loop? Yeah. That's so cool. But it's like, just... I wish... That's the thing I, I will always people, explain to people. Like, I wish people had... I wish, I wish science maybe at a younger age was more accessible. Because there are probably so many people who... who are just like, oh, science way too complicated. Like, I can't do it. Well, that's the other thing that I want to talk about at some point. I guess we might as well talk about it now because we're, we're here now. This is where we are right now. We're going deep. We're going deep. Three hours deep. Not, not, not terribly deep, but like the whole thing about how um, from a very young age, people are told that some people are just bad at math. And then you can forever use that as an excuse. Oh, I'm just bad at math. Yeah. Oh, I've, just, I've used that excuse my whole life. I'm just bad at math. I've used that excuse. I yeah. just can't do math, right? Yeah. And I've stopped using it as much lately. Because, yeah. um, I don't know if we've talked about this on one of our previous podcasts, but like, everybody, everybody you know, or the vast majority of people you know, when they meet someone new, they'll say, I'm not going to remember your name because I'm bad at names. Oh, and it gives people an excuse. And it gives you a fucking excuse to not remember names. That's true. Right? Yeah. So you don't have to try anymore. And because you're not trying to remember names, you don't remember names. And then you think, oh, an, I don't a, remember names, so I'm bad at names. So and then you tell the next feedback loop. So it's a positive feedback loop. Yeah. And you just keep doing that. And in the same way, when you're a kid and you say, some people are really good at math and some people are bad at math, you say, I'm just bad at math. And you get really bad grades in math, and you say, I'm just bad or, at math. Or you can say... And you don't try you can, to get can, better at math. Or you can teach your kids, math is amazing. I mean, my mom tried to no, really teach it's me not that just, math It's was not just amazing. math is amazing. It's that you're probably going to fucking fail at math. There's very few people who get through math without failing. <laughs> and you need to be prepared for it. And I don't know if I told you about this study, but I read this study where they yeah. took a cohort of people through... Uh, I think it was, grade, it was grade 6 to grade 12. Yeah. From grade six to graduation. Yeah. And they followed these kids through their math careers. And half the kids, they said, uh, some people are just bad at math. Just grind through it, get your grades, and just go on with life. Yeah. And some people, they said, you're going to fucking fail. Math is hard. You're going to fail. You just keep trying. Math is hard. Yeah. And um, a s- significant more number of kids who were told math is hard and you're probably going to fail went just on, keep trying went on into STEM after they graduated mm. into uh, science, technology, engineering, mathematics yeah right whereas the other people maybe they didn't because they weren't prepared um, they weren't prepared for failure and they were they were told that well, it so does, they, they you might just be bad at math lump themselves into yeah. the bad at math cohort yeah. of people and they're yeah. just like it's okay. It, it gives them a way to be... It's okay to be bad, bad at math. Yeah, because some people are just bad at math. Yeah, cause I, felt, I felt, you know, even when I was younger, just like, oh, it's fine. I'm just like one of those people who are bad at math. Well, I was good at math up until grade nine, and then I had a bad math teacher. Oh, And yeah. that'll fuck you up, too, because oh. math is all about stacking. Math? I, I had a pretty good grade 10 math teacher, because he was, he was just legitimately excited to teach us things. Mm-hmm. He had a... He was like an older guy, Mr. Dixon, and he was just always upbeat, and he seemed very invested in us understanding, not just being like, okay, here's what we're going to learn today, here's the homework. It was like, 
This is what we're going to learn today. You're probably going to mess this thing up, so I'm going to tell you right now, you know, you have to do this. And it would always be very helpful. And he was just, he was just jazzed. He was just jazzed about math, and it made, even though, like, we all hated math, we'd be, like, a little bit jazzed, too. <laughs> just because he was so jazzed about it. Yeah. Yeah. Because he was so excited to be teaching us this. And he wasn't just like, okay, class, uh, we're going to learn some, some fractions. We're going to learn, mm -hmm. you know, these types of fractions and how to, how to do this thing. He would be like, okay, so we're going to learn this thing. It's really cool because this, 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 and this. And, like, it's, it was so long ago, I still remember him. Yeah. He was such a great teacher. Just because anytime you had a question, he would just, he would just be so eager to help you. Mm -hmm. Like, teachers that are emotionally invested That's in getting too. people to understand and being excited Which to teach people. Which is why, like, higher level undergraduate courses are so much fun. Yeah, right. Because you start getting to like oh specific things where professors like they want to teach these courses. Yeah, because it's literally their created, research. They've created these courses. They're like, yeah. I'm so ready to teach you guys about this, and I'm, and like because they're often like electives, they're not necessarily like, mm. required courses. They're like, people chose like, to take like, this course. You guys are here to learn about this thing because you chose to be here. And yeah, I'm so excited to teach you guys. This is this where it's not like a required about. course. It was like yeah. at this Except point. Said that that one bitch in my aquatic ecology class who said she didn't like fish. Like, oh you my were, god, you why is she the, there? <laughs> you were taking the wrong course. <laughs> why was she there then? Maybe it was the only, the only th maybe she just needed credits. But this is a course that isn't offered that often. It's offered once every two years. And maybe. it's hard to get into. Weird. Yeah. Weird. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I just, it's like. <laughs> I don't like fish. I don't like fish. I feel like... Why are you taking aquatic I feel like someone course? who's like, I don't like fish, just automatically goes on your shit list. <laughs> <laughs> just, just on your just lesser people list. I don't know. My best friend is like that, though. He's like, I don't get fish. Oh, well, well he's he's that sort of person, though. He's I the should way show he, him that what he's fish He's the way he is. He's the way he is. <laughs> would he even be able to... We'd have to take away his phone. Otherwise, he would just conk right out. Oh, probably. He'd probably have no interest in watching an hour-long lecture about He fish. would probably just start talking. That, that, when I wa I was so engaged in that. That was such a good lecture. I did not feel like it was an hour long. Everybody needs to watch What a Fish Knows. What a Fish Knows. It's so cool. Yeah, it's an, it's an hour and ten minutes long. And it's just about, like, the what? way, like, the experience of a fish. Yeah. Basically. They're very complex beings. And how we're, like, really undervalue fish. Yeah. And the identities of fish. And just their life. Yeah. How fish experience the world. Yeah. It's so cool. But, yeah. Just to sum up, like... People need to be given, like... Especially young people and kids need to be given a different perspective on science and on math. Yeah. And just, like, what the world is. Because the world isn't easy. The world is difficult. Mm -hmm. And, like, if you want to get anywhere, you're going to have to struggle. And you have to fail. Yeah. I don't know if I said this on a previous podcast, but, like, um, when I was growing up, my dad loved to throw us down mountains. <laughs> Mountain biking and snowboarding and skiing and 
going up and hang like he we we didn't we were too young to go hang gliding but like we go ha- like we yeah, watch him like, hang he'd glide. like to challenge you guys um and we'd wipe out and there was a whole there was there was just the idea of uh the thing he always said is whoever got the most injured had the most fun <laughs> and uh, the idea was that you know if you ever wiped out it was get back up and keep going right mm. you're not off the mountain yet yeah just oh you fell off your bike get on and keep going and i never really thought about it until later but that probably did something to like my psychology with like going to school and stuff about accepting the struggle and powering yeah, through it just like well you fucked up keep going yeah like this didn't it work doesn't, out this it doesn't take away the this didn't work out the way you wanted it to yeah. but there's also things like you know um we were never given money for our grades we were never rewarded for good grades Mm. We weren't punished for bad grades, but we weren't rewarded for good grades. So yeah. getting good grades was a lot more of like a personal accomplishment mm-hmm. and something that uh, it wasn't like we're doing this for uh, extrinsic value, but intrinsic value. Yeah. Right. Which is like a lot more I valuable. Think it, I think it's so crazy that kids get money for having good grades. Right. Like they're paid. Yeah. Like, man, I got. I just. I just got so happy when I had good grades. I would just be like, "Fuck yeah!" Well, that that's a huge thing just, in psychology. That's like oh, psychology. It's just one, so rewarding just to as, just to be like, "I got as, an A." As soon as you add extrinsic value to something, it's it's the effort drops. Yeah, uh, the effort drops, but um, the actual appreciation of uh, achieving that thing is much mm. is lessened. Yeah. Right, like. Yeah, like, getting paid for good grades. Like, it doesn't mean as much to you. Like, yeah. psychologically, it's not as valuable to you anymore. Yeah. I think the first time I heard about that that, that was a thing, it just blew my mind. I'm like, people give their kids money? Right. Like, well, number one, I was a greedy motherfucker when I was little, so I was like, I should be getting paid for this. Yeah. And, of course, my mom was like, No. <laughs> Probably, I don't know. But on the flip side, a lot of kids also got, like, grounded if they got bad grades. Yeah. Which was also, like, fucked up. I mean, you shouldn't just ground your kids for bad grades. You should be like, why aren't you performing well? Like, like, let's have a talk about this. I'm just bad at math. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just not good at math. Uh, I mean, if it's because, as a parent, you see that your kid is not, just not doing their homework and just not putting in effort and you've talked about it then i could see why it's like mm-hmm. okay rather than going out hanging with your friends playing video games you need to you need to go home and study mm-hmm. you need to stay home and study because you have a test coming up i think that's valid to do yeah to be like you right now but like should... facilitate it like sit down and help them no yeah i mean you have although to be there's involved. a lot of like adults who aren't have no fucking idea yeah they're probably what? just like you're grounded go to your room and get better grades and mm. just but that's I think that's also largely because there's a lot of emphasis put on like going to school and getting good grades but mm. like fuck what do your grades in like grade 10 mean to you anymore man they meant the world when I was in grade 10 now yeah. it's just like but now absolutely they insignificant right I mean my grades in grade 10 only ever helped me maybe get into university I mean, then again, 
The only grades that matter are grades 11 through 12. 11 and 12 grades are the only ones that matter for admission. The only reason right. why you would try to get get good grades is that so you can be more successful and get into better classes, maybe? Like, if you want to go into honors. Better universities, maybe? I don't know. Well, I mean, this is, I'm talking about, like, grade but 10. But no, you can, get into you, good, would... you can get into good universities with bad grades if you have passion. I mean, as in, like, like apparently, writing. Apparently, uh, Taryn knows someone who runs a business that's solely based on teaching people how to get their kids into Ivy League schools. Because I feel and like... And 100% of it is... Aren't a lot of those schools just based on the essay that you write for one them? Of, one, of their, one of their kids was like a test subject for them before they started running their business. Yeah. And it was about showing that your kid has hobbies and has passion. Yeah. And the grades don't matter. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, And I think one of them was literally... She got into an Ivy League school. F- tuition paid for by the school. Because they wanted them, because they like did soccer and they did this and they did that and they had all these things in their life that was hmm. like separate from schooling. Yeah. I mean, I don't know the whole stories. There's probably a bunch of other shit going on there. Yeah. But like, when it comes to getting jobs and stuff, that's also true. Like, what do you like doing? What are you passionate about? Mm. Right. That's interesting. On that note. It's two o'clock. Yeah. We need to... This is the cutoff. We need to shut this shit down. And these clowns. Can I get a witness? <laughs> Hell yeah. Okay. Time to end this rum and coke rambling. Is the rambling. The rum and coke rambles. The rambles. We've got the rambles. I think that's what podcasts are for. I think podcasts are for rambling in my mind. Podcasts are for tangents. Yeah. That just lead to other tangents for... Yeah, and that's uh, three ten right there. Whew. It just time goes it. by. All right, well, thanks for listening. Until next time, bye bye. Bye.